0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Movie Change Up NFL Draft watch We're We're going to sit and, <laughs> and figure out, you know, who's going to go first. I think everyone, you know, is saying Trevor Lawrence is going to go first, and then I uh, believe uh, we know who the Jets are taking, and now rumors coming out today everyone's been saying that Mac Jones is going to go to the 49ers, but there's been a big shift today, and apparently it's now going to be Trey Lance going to the 49ers. You know, I don't know a lot, but apparently I do know that Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay, and uh, everyone's favorite Jesus quarterback Tim Tebow uh, had a workout for the Jags recently as a tight end. So we no, will he see.
1: requested for
2: one.
0: Oh, he requested. We're
1: not him? giving him one. Yeah, yeah. He's um, all right, before we by. lose our audience, let's. <laughs> but
0: you know, or I guess this is also. We're having a normal episode tonight of the Movie Change-Up Podcast, where each week two people go head-to-head facing each other in movie reboots. Uh, how, you know There's seven movies each week. Uh, there's also seven rules, and you can't use a rule more than once. Some rules uh, have included you must set one inside the Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. You must uh, combine yours with another franchise. Uh, just a lot of weird and wacky rules. kind of makes for some interesting movie pitches. Uh, But to help me judge these pitches this week, we have uh, Bobby Mitchell. What are your thoughts? Who are the Lions taking? Are we trading back? What are we doing?
1: (laughs) I'm I'm kind of hoping for a trade back. We're actually talking about the draft, but uh, I kind of hope they either go with Penny Sewell if he's there or uh, uh, a surprise Justin Fields drop and we either take him or let someone else trade up to get him. But uh, other than that, I'm looking forward to the actual movie change up episode that we're doing. Um, I think we have a, odd kind of list of movies i think this week that i'm ready just i'm ready to hear some better pitches for that's a fun Um, way of saying it yeah yeah, but i mean i'm excited for it sometimes that can get the best ones if you don't really care about the original
0: all right and uh tristan you're one and two right now What, what are your thoughts what did you do this week to prepare to beat johnny who has not lost in a long long time
3: Look, I'm hoping to take Johnny down. I'll just say that from the top here. I'm hoping to make this Johnny's first loss. I think he's been on a win streak. He's feeling pretty hot, you know. But this is the time you know, you, you burn out eventually. You hit the high, you hit the high, you hit the high. You think you're so good, you know. He's like the, the tortoise and the hare. He's the hare, but I'm a tortoise. I'm coming in and I'm gonna get him. He's up there all confident, but I'm coming to get him. Unfortunately, Bobby mentioned that there's some bad movies this week. <laughs> What are two that I have a soft spot for in my heart, but the rest of them, I, I thought, what am I even going to do with these at all? So I'm curious to hear how Johnny goes with them, but I'm sure mine are better, so we'll see.
0: All, all right, and uh, Johnny, what are your thoughts? What do you do? Anything to give you that extra push to keep you at, you know, 4-0? Because you're currently 3-0. You
2: know, I haven't lost since the first ever episode of this show. Um, but honestly, I, I kind of feel... Uh, maybe I'm feeling like Outworld going into this and Tristan might represent Earthrealm and I'm going in, you know, undefeated, ready to just crush his soul, kill all his people. But, you know, he's got to take this one to, to stay alive. And, and, you know, sometimes that motivates people. I've never lost to Tristan. Um, but you know, I, I'm always confident. This is probably my least confident going in, but Tristan and I agree that these are just some weird movies to kind of work with. Um, but I think it'll be a fun it'll be a fun fight, um, and I'm always down for a fight, so I'm ready.
0: All right, and uh, our seven movies today that they will be fighting over we have Jumper from 2008, The Man from U.N.C.L.E. from 2015, Masters of the Universe from 1987, Miami Vice from 2006, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins from 1985, the all classic exactly, The Sorcerer's Apprentice from 2010. And a wrinkle in time from 2018, uh, Bobby. If you'd also like to,
2: fucking
0: if you'd like to read the rules.
1: Yep. So our rules for today: we have one must be a zombie movie, one must include a character made famous by Christian Bale, one must include an a, a historical event, uh, you must resurrect an actor's career for the for the lead role, you must be or one must be a 1990s movie. One must be cast with only Grammy Award winners, and one must only use past and present SNL cast members.
0: All right. So before we get started, there's a few things to bring up. Normally, when this show happens, the contestants are given you know, the movies and the rules, and they get to pair them themselves and figure out kind of what they think the best ruling is with which pairing. Uh, but we wanted to do something a little different. Originally, this kind of started as an April Fool's type thing. For the beginning of this month. But this episode kept getting pushed back. So it doesn't really match up with that. But that's kind of what our initial plan was. So I matched up uh, Johnny's rules for him. Bobby matched up Tristan's rules for him. So they didn't have complete control over their pitches. But they did get to figure out what they wanted to do. Within those rule pairings and matchups. And then also since uh, when Johnny and Tristan faced each other last. Johnny won. 5-2 normally you win 4-3 to three, clean victory everyone goes home but since Johnny won 5-2 to two, he won with that extra point and so that meant that the next time they face each other which is tonight Johnny gets a repeater rule which means he could take out any rule he didn't like and replace it with a rule uh, another rule on the list and could do whatever he wanted while Tristan still had to go with the original rulings uh, so with that said uh, I believe, Johnny, you won the competition we had before the episode started, so uh, where are we going first, and who's going first?
2: Well, we have a small problem because uh, I had one of the rules written down wrong, so I gotta make some changes on the fly <laughs> here. Um, is it the one you uh, repeated, though? That
1: would be bad.
2: <laughs> well, no, but we're gonna go with this. We're gonna start with I'm, d- I'm not really sold on what to start with. So we're going to go Wrinkle in Time. And I'm going to have Tristan go first. Are you sure? Uh, all right. I'm to do some work on this. One. All
0: right. A wrinkle in Time. Yeah, this, was, this was Bobby's movie. So another thing, uh, how this normally goes is uh, one judge picks three movies, the other judge picks three movies, and then they come together to pick a seventh movie. And then you... You decide the winner of the movie you pick, so Bobby picked picked this movie, so he will decide the winner between Johnny and Tristan for this film. Uh, A Wrinkle in Time came out in 2018. It got a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, The plot of the movie is uh, Meg Murray and her little brother Charles Wallace have been without their scientist father, Mr. Murray, for five years, ever since he discovered a new planet and used the concept known as a tesseract to travel there. Joined by Meg's classmate, Calvin O'Keefe, and... Guided by three mysterious astral travelers known as Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch, the children brave a dangerous journey to a planet that possesses all of the evil in the universe. And Tristan, what is your pitch? I actually
3: like these books a lot. I read them when I was a kid, but uh, this movie in particular did a very bad job of capturing it. But I kind of threw out a lot of what the book did and tried to get, get like the themes and the ideas of what it explored and, and do kind of my own thing with it. And for mine, I thought what really sunk the original movie was that it was this huge, bloated, like, big-budget blockbuster-type thing that didn't really, like, fit with what it was going for. And so I decided to uh, make mine an animated movie. I think that's a little bit more accessible for the what I'm going for here. And for my director, I picked someone who hasn't done animation yet, but he's working with Disney now, and I think he has a really great eye for for detail and for physicality, which I think is something that animation directors would benefit from it. that's Barry Jenkins in my cast I have uh, Ms. Whatsit. she's the new neighbor that moves in next door I have her played by Angela Bassett Mrs. Who is someone that also lives with uh, Ms. Wetsit and I have her played by Viola Davis the older sister uh, Meg I have her played by Yara uh, uh, Shahabdi I believe it is from Blackish pretty good in that show I think she's definitely the heart of the show in my mind her and the younger brother Uh, Caleb McLaughlin is the older friend Charlie I have him as sort of like the genius kind of classmate character the guy that was with them kind of on the adventure and her little brother I haven't played by oh I haven't played by Miles Brown from Blackish he's great on that show he's definitely my favorite character on there uh and I do have some historical figures that they go through I'll go through the plot really quickly before I get to that but I'll go through some more of my cast in a second so essentially Meg Wright Home from her freshman year of college, trying to reconnect with her family. I've never really been super close, but they because they lost their uh brother, their father when they were very young, so I haven't been super close with her siblings and anything like that. But a new neighbor moves in that summer, so they decide, Oh, let's go check out this new neighbor's house. Maybe it's a chance for me to connect with my brother. I haven't seen him in a while. So they go over and they meet up with, like I said, Miss What's It and Mrs. Who, Angela Bassett and Viola Davis as characters. And They're these sort of mystical beings who have this mysterious object in their house called the Tesseract that lets them travel through time and place along a family history. So the children decide to use, along with the help of what's it and who, this Tesseract to travel along their own family history to uncover the past, what happened to their father, what happened to their family in in their past. So throughout this sort of travel through history, they meet some historical figures that people along their family lines interacted with. So I wanted to do some of the big people like Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, I have him played by John David Washington. I also have Harriet Tubman played by Regina King. But I wanted to also highlight a couple uh, black people of history who have never really gotten the chance to shine too much. I have Marsha P. Marsha P. Brown, a very prominent LGBTQ uh, black figure in history played by Lebron Cox. And I have Dr. Rebecca uh, Crumpler who is famous for being the first black doctor and she faced a lot of persecution, but I think that's someone that could be looked up to, especially by these characters, and that's played by Kerry Washington. So essentially, their journey in this movie is to use the Tesseract, and along with these two figures, kind of go back through their family's past and fix the wrinkles in their timeline. There's been some upset, so they're going through and they're making sure everything kind of lines up and kind of fits. And through this, they find out that their mom, who is kind of distant from them, they have a young mother, and this is played by Zendaya, and uh, the young fathers played by Daniel Kalia. And they kind of interact with the young version of the parents where they see, like, oh, when they're youth, they were kind of these rebe- these rebels who were standing up against suppression, standing up for what's right. And their father ultimately gets killed in a in a protest towards the end. So they learn a lesson through that of like the cost of doing this. And they also learn to connect with their mother a bit more because she's been distant through uh, the death of their father, through their lives. And you sort of get this family drama of them coming together as siblings and friends and learning about not just the past of their family, but the past of their people. And I think you put this is a nice animated movie right to Disney Plus, something that I think people would all get together and watch that is kind of going for a good family adventure that has a lot of heart and a lot of history to it. And that's my pitch for Wrinkle and Time.
0: All right. I like it. Interesting. Uh, Johnny, what did you have for your Wrinkle in Time pitch that you wrote a long, long time ago? And... Definitely weren't working on right
1: uh, now. I think he's working I, on a different I,
2: pitch. I was oh, working yeah. a different one. I started with one I didn't need to fuck with. Oh. Um, but okay, I'll, I'll go with this. I think *Wrinkle in Time* is the stupidest fucking book ever written. I think um having a Miss What's It, Miss uh, Who Cares, and a Miss Fuck You—those um, <laughs> are all the dumbest <laughs> names in history. And those are all like, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Like, you might as well call it Miss Who Gives a Fuck. So I got rid of all that bullshit and I kind of just uh, fucked with. Uh, Some elements, the rule choice that I had to go with on this was making a 1990s movie. And I think that kind of helps make this a little different because it makes, I tried to go very nineties with it and make it a movie that made sense at the times you have examples of, you know, movies that maybe changed a lot of their source material and not um, tried to stay so um, fan service with it. So I took some elements and I changed some other things. So I'll go with this. My director is Wolfgang Peterson, who did the never ending story. Um, I will say this. My movie came out in 1996. Um, my Meg is played by a, a young Raven Simone, most famous then for being on the Cosby show and later will be, um, and that's a Raven, um, but she was popular around that time. My Alexander, uh, uh, who is the father is played by John Witherspoon, who's been in a million things, probably most famous for being the funny uncle or father in a Friday. My Calvin is going to be played by Keenan Thompson, who's coming off a couple movies, but mainly, D two the mighty ducks, where he was the king of the knuckle puck. Um, My Mrs. Wallace, which is Calvin's mother is going to be played by Whoopi Goldberg. And I have a role, the master of time. And that is going to be played by the goat, David Bowie. Um, So here is my movie. A man named um, Alexander is experimenting with the device. He refers to as the Tesseract in a lab um, in the lab and is on the phone with his young daughter, asking her if she uh, what she wants to do for dinner that night he apologizes for working late but says he will bring uh, home her favorite pizza uh, as he is wrapping up the tesseract starts to glow. Alexander uh, goes to inspect the now glowing green tesseract when there is a flash of light and he has vanished. Meanwhile Meg sits at home waiting for her father to return she tries calling uh, she tries calling his office but no one answers getting worried she calls the police they tell her what her father, uh, that her father's not been missing for long enough uh, to file a missing persons report, but they put out an APB and are searching for him. Nonetheless, the cop asks her if she needs a place to stay if her father does not return home. But Meg says she can stay the night at the neighbor's house. The neighbor, Mrs. Wallace, has a son in the same class as Meg named Calvin. Calvin comforts Meg while Mrs. Wallace goes to sleep. She has a um, Mrs. Wallace has a dream of Meg's father visiting her and asking her uh, for her help and wakes up in a panic. She rushes to find Calvin and Meg to wake them. She tells him this might sound crazy, but she must reveal to them the secret of Meg's father's work. She explains that he is working on an unknown device he believed to be the link to another world. And while at first she believed, uh, she believed him to be crazy, he was able to prove it to her. She says there's another device uh, her father left for her in the basement or in case uh, anything were to happen to him. She reveals a time traveling device she has in her basement and says the only way to rescue Alexander is to find what time period he is trapped. They go on an adventure through different time periods, seeing dinosaurs and, um, you know, pirates and all sorts of fun kids movie type of stuff that would have been big in the 90s, especially for what would, necessar- what would pretty much be a Disney movie. Um, um, but this draws the notice of the master of time who is chasing them down throughout the film after this. So basically in the end, it is revealed the master of time is trying to stop them because time travel is creating alternate realities that could uh, potentially end all civilization as we know it. The last scene of the movie is an interaction with Alexander and Meg having finally reunited and Alexander having to, having to come to terms with being lost in time in order to preserve the life of his daughter. As he knows it, they return to modern times without him and Mrs. Wallace adopting Meg. Before the credits, she has um, Meg has a dream of her father reaching out to her and calling for help. She sits up in bed and the film cuts to black. So my movie is more of a, it's a family movie in the 90s. It's very 90s. I wanted to stick to that. I dropped some elements of the book while keeping the, uh, the actual interesting aspects, um, but I changed some characters around. And I, I think it's a fun twist for a movie like that where you think this, evil like david bowie characters chasing them and in the end he's just trying to save them and i think that's a good little twist at the end so that is my my uh wrinkle in time
0: all right uh i don't i know bobby you're in charge of this round but i don't really have any questions for either of them and yeah i, I think i know kind of what each one's what they're each going for you know uh yep so
1: i'm in a similar boat um i guess just tristan the, the only kind of minor question is, um, uh, like, how much humor is going to be in yours for the animated movie, basically?
3: I want a little bit of humor just to lighten it up, but it's not a comedy. You know, like, there's yeah. some comic relief in there, but it's it's just typical, like, a family uh, tone. It's not, like, a super comedic. It's a little bit more serious, but it has comedic
1: relief. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted a better picture of what kind of the tone of your movie was. I kind of get both of them, so uh, I'm ready to see him fight
0: yeah uh it's 19 minutes now so at 24 minutes i'll i'll stop it
1: i'll say what
3: i like about mine a lot is that it focuses in on the family and they're going through like their own history and their own past and what's built to who they are and i think that johnny's feels like they're going all over the place they're seeing dinosaurs they're seeing this and that but it doesn't feel connected to the characters it doesn't feel like there's really like any through line for them as characters there and i think mine is much more focused you can see them growing over the course of it you can see them learning about themselves about their experience and i just think that's a much better family film something that has a lesson in it and a moral in it that's a lot more interesting than johnny's just like oh don't travel through time i guess
2: mine is about accepting loss and sometimes realizing that there's a kind of you know i i went with something that that seems like 90s kids movies maybe there's a higher power in all of this and you can't always control the things you lost mine's going to deal more with loss and an issue that I think um, was something that is common in, in nineties kids movies and something that we see popular still today with movies like, um, you know, soul and inside out and cocoa and things like that. You know, you look at all Pixar's I, I think you thematically stick to something that fits more. I don't need Barry Jenkins basically making the same mistake that Ava DuVernay made and make a um, wrinkle in time movie. And I think your movie makes the mistake of combining Shit that's just always going to be stupid no matter what you do with it. Like, I think the Wrinkle in Time movie that came out, as close to, you know, you did as good of a job as you could have done with the source material, but the source material does not translate to screen very well. Um, So I don't want to see a movie with Harriet Tubman and MLK and all these important um, people in history, and then you have a, oh, well, this is a Miss What's It and Miss Who's It and Miss Fuck It. Like, I don't need that. And I feel like it's just a jamble of a bunch of bullshit. And it yours like okay, maybe if it's like a TV special, like the My Friend Martin movie, okay, you could do like a little um, TV special that's a, a you know forty-five minutes and you show in class and it's people traveling through time and seeing these important people. But yours to be an actual like theatrical film doesn't make sense to me, and it just feels like a bunch of jumble, jibble, jumble bullshit. Like I don't need to see anything that you're pitching in your movie.
3: I'm not sure what you. T- I mean, you're saying like, oh, your premise is all confusing, and Mrs. Watson and Miss Hughes and Miss This and That, and I didn't. I mean, I took the basic basic premise of the book, like, oh, there's these time traveling people that live next door, and that's all I really took from the book. Like, I Which took is the dumbest the part of the this book. Thing the,
2: the, the only time interesting traveling? part of the book is the dad gets lost in time, and then it's about a daughter trying to reconnect with her father. That's what I focused on because that's I think a movie that you can actually make interesting. You were like, yeah, well, we're going to have these witches that live next door and they have these powers. And then they're going to go visit fucking MLK. Like, no, like that's so stupid. Like, and it's, it's a movie that I feel like maybe it's made with the right intentions, but it comes across as something that would just get shit on on social media for the end of time. Like it would just be ridiculed to death after a movie came out. Mine is a fun kids movie from the nineties that people will grow up with and they'll, they'll enjoy And I have, you know, characters that are, they're fun. It deals with things that kids movies deal with. And it doesn't try to shoehorn in um, narratives and stuff that you don't really need uh, in a wrinkle in time movie.
3: I mean, I think mine's a perfectly straightforward narrative. And you talk about a daughter connecting with their father and that's exactly what mine's about. It's about their father died and never really known like the true history of that. And it's affected them throughout their lives. Even the fact that they never really knew their father, they're still affected by that person in their life. And, this whole travel history is them trying to correct the wrinkles in time and see if they can kind of bring their father back. That's the premise is like they're trying to correct these wrinkles and see if they can save their father. But ultimately at the end, it's like a decision where they realize history has to play out how it's supposed to play out. And I think that's sort of... So here's my question. And
2: this is why I wanted to stray away from anything like this with time travel stuff. So your movie, they have the power to time travel. And let's say they want to um, prevent... the the assassination of martin luther king because that has something to do with her father for some reason um let's say they prevent it and they go in the in the future and realize oh well my father was never born because of this we have to go back and make sure mlk dies like that was more important that he died like that is the issue with involving um such important like such sad events in this like I don't want to see a movie that goes back and it's like, yeah, now MLK is alive, but all this terrible things still happened. Like, I didn't say any of that. You're just making
3: event. up stuff yeah. right now. I didn't say going any going of that happened stuff that, would happen stuff that you pulled out of your ass that I didn't say in my pitch.
2: But that stuff, like, if you're going back in the time and you have the power to time travel, why wouldn't they try to prevent something so tragic that they know happened? So you're either going to I just include it, and then everyone will be like, well, what the fuck? Like, that's stupid that, like, if you have the power to travel through time just prevent these horrible things from happening or you just, or like it, the real studio would be like, okay, what if we made a movie where they went back and like tried to fix it? I things? have
3: some final points if Johnny wants to start right, making yeah. stuff about my pitch. Yeah. yeah
0: we're at 24 <laughs> minutes. So I want to hear what you have to say.
3: I, the reason to going to all these historical figures, isn't just random. It's because they're going down their own family line. Like they're going to realize, Oh, my parents were in this movement. And my grandparents, they were in the MLK movement. And my great grandparents, they were in this die. movement. And they're not like going, oh, we're going back to like the day Martin Luther King dies. They're going back and following like their great grandfather around, trying to make sure he gets where he's supposed to get to. And then, oh, look, he's interacting with MLK on this day. And then they get these like happenstance encounters with a couple couple of people throughout their family history. And that it's not about the historical figures, really. It's about their family. You
2: give them a heads up on something that happens in its future if you have that ability to do so. Seems kind of,
3: uh, I mean, that's in literally every uh, single time travel premise ever. Like, you and that's, I explained it already. I said they eventually learned that you can't change history. History is going to play out how it's supposed to play out, so they can't go and change stuff and mess with stuff.
0: All right, I have where I'm going, Bobby, if you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm making the final call, so I want to hear what you're thinking first, but I, I think I know where I'm going.
0: All right, as far as like the time travel and like warning MLK, like, I get where Johnny's going, but that didn't really factor into my thing. My thing was before. Same. Uh, Tristan even brought it up his thing reminded me of basically like My Friend Martin and it felt like very after school especially to me and I didn't really hear anything outside of like why it wouldn't be beyond um, just like Barry Jenkins is making it especially I think being an animated movie almost hurt it to me because I feel like that makes it feel even more like after school mm-hmm. especially uh, where Johnny's to me just feels like a fun 90s fantasy adventure movie. I I, th- I like his director. Uh, and yeah. And that's kind of where I'm going. I'm leaning towards Johnny with
1: this. Yeah, in the same boat, I don't think that Johnny... Like, Johnny's argument about the time travel, that didn't affect me at all. But, like, at first, I, th- I think a, an animated Wrinkle in Time movie was a really smart call. But the problem is, I don't think an animated version of the movie you pitched is quite as... I Powerful, wish you guys would
3: bring these up but, before we argue. Like you said, you well, had no, no questions, and then you guys until, already had your minds made up before you argue? No, we even I didn't. Argue. It
1: wasn't that. wasn't until that was like during the argument. I kind of thought about it, and as we yeah. went, as as you guys talked, that wasn't a as you pitched the movie. Um, more is just more as a, I heard about both your movies, and that's kind of what what I was thinking. But Johnny just sounded more of a fun movie that stripped away maybe some of the stuff that couldn't quite get put to screen um, as well. So I think that's where I'm leaning. It, it wasn't, like, a complete blowout for me. I did like Tristan's pitch a lot, but um going with Johnny for this one.
0: Yeah, Spinner58 says Tristan sounds like Forrest Gump of time travel, which you kind of also is the vibe I got.
3: Yeah. Are you an Academy Award-winning movie? All right, All right
0: well.
2: What movie? me?
3: Forrest Gump won an uh, Academy Award. Why is that a negative comparison? So did Suicide Squad, but because, I don't know. Yeah,
2: so Suicide Squad, you can't go by that. So is no man win. <laughs> All right, Tristan, All right, uh, Let's go going? with.
3: Let's go with Miami Vice, and John, I can go first on that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to be honest. On that fight, I uh, was so busy changing my pitches. I didn't listen to what Tristan had to say on his, so I'm glad I won that, but I wanted the time travel thing thinking that's what he said, so thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, all right.
0: Um... Miami Vice. So this is actually the one that Bobby and I did together. So we're co-judging this one. Um, Miami Vice got a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if I've ever actually seen the movie, so I don't know if that's fair or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, exactly. the, plot is, the plot is a case involving drug lords and murder in South Florida takes a personal turn for undercover detectives Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Tubbs. An orthodox Crockett gets involved romantically with a Chinese-Cuban wife of a tra- trafficker of arms and drugs, while Tubbs deals with an assault of those he loves.
2: And I just had to cough for a second. I don't like coughing on the screen nowadays. Um, all right, so Miami Vice. Um, if you've ever seen it, you know that uh, I think Michael Mann directed it, and the dude's basically deaf, and he did the sound editing, and that plays through Pretty well. I'm starting to think Christopher Nolan is also deaf. Um, but I'm going. The rule that uh, Joe paired for my movie was one must be cast with only Grammy Award winners. Which <laughs> thank you guys for that one. Uh, that might be Not the a worst great, rule we've ever really come up the with. Rule. For Torturous show. rule. But it was one that I I wanted to take on the challenge. So I felt like it would be a cheat to uh, do my repeater rule and get rid of this one. So I, I stuck with it. I put in the research. Um, so I will read off my people. I wanted to go across the board all people that have won Grammys, even my director. So my director is Morton Scorsese. Um, I had originally deleted that, and I had what he won a Grammy for, but I think it was for producing uh, the band um, documentary or whatever, but he won a Grammy. but Not that that even matters because it's a cast, but I wanted to stick with it. But I think he fits the vibe of what I'm going for here. My detective, R- Ricardo Tubbs, is going to be played by Donald Glover. He won for the song Redbone. Um, My detective James Crockett is going to be played by Don Cheadle. He won for producing uh, the album for the Miles Davis biopic. Uh, My villain uh, is a drug, uh, drug Lord named Donovan James. Um, That's going to be played by Joaquin Phoenix. He won for the walk the line um, songs and soundtrack. My uh, Evan um, is a character in my movie. That's going to be played by Justin Timberlake, who's won a few, but you know, for sexy back and a few other things he's won for, Videos and songs and uh, dancing awards and shit like that. And then James's wife, I don't really have much in her pitch uh, in the pitch for her because I wanted to keep it shorter. But um, basically, Don Cheeto's wife's going to be played by Mary J. Blige, who is a, a Grammy Award winner as well and a great actress. So, my um, movie is Detective Ricardo Tubbs and James Crockett are on the trail of Miami drug lord Donovan James. They storm a drug deal and get in a shootout with James's men. During the shootout, Tubbs notices a man helping the drug lord and tells Crockett they need to stand down and get out of there. Crockett's confused, but they let the drug dealers escape. Afterwards, the two detectives have a heated confrontation. Tubbs explains there was a man helping James that he, uh, that he used to work, or sorry, that he is not what he seems to be, a man named Evan. This is Justin Timberlake's character. Tubbs believes to be an undercover... Um, agent because they used to work together in their previous precinct Crockett explains that holding fire and letting the dealers escape was the wrong move because not only did it affect their operation but it also could uh, blow the cover of the undercover agent uh, if that is the case so the movie basically plays out as Crockett doubting the motivations of Tubbs Evan being the right-hand man of uh, the drug dealer James and Tubbs starting to doubt himself after their interactions and in, um, things that uh, his instincts are correct so eventually in a scene where Tubbs manages to isolate himself with Evan it is revealed through dialogue that the two were former lovers and Tubbs no longer believes that he uh, is an undercover agent um, and he plans to stop them uh, both but uh, another twist throughout the film you have these interactions and you have a big shootout in the end but in the end of the film it ends up it ends up with uh James capturing the two detectives, but it turns out Evan was an undercover agent the whole time. And uh, James is arrested by the FBI that storming at the end. So I I didn't type out a ton on here um, so I can explain more if you guys have questions on what happens, but I thought it was kind of self-explanatory. I'm kind of mixing like a cop drama with um, like kind of twist in terms of like the departed and having undercover agents and stuff. So I thought Scorsese would be a good person to kind of do that. We've pitched movies with him before. I think Scorsese, I'd love him to get back to kind of that tone that The Departed was um, because he's st- stuck to like the silence and the Irishman and stuff. But I'd love like a good two hour, two hour, 15 minute cop drama with undercover agents and twists and character motivations that you're not quite sure of um, with uh, uh, Martin Scorsese directing it. So that's what I, what I uh, pitched here. Okay. Tristan.
3: All right, my pitch for Miami Vice. Uh, my, I'll hold my rule in a second. I'll just start off with my premise and say that a 1985 team of Vice detectives has to investigate an underground Miami gambling ring. Uh, my cast here is Michael B. Jordan and Ethan Hawke. So Michael B. Jordan is kind of our main character and our sort of through-line uh, through this story, he's playing the Tubbs role and he's sort of this uh, newcomer to the Miami Vice squad. He's a transfer from Chicago. He's kind of new to the the cop life. So he's getting into the lifestyle for the first time versus Ethan Hawke, who's sort of this chill, vibing, like beach kind of guy. He's got like the slight suntan going. He wears shades all the time. He's kind of just like that really chill uh, Miami type cop. You he would expect this role to be sort of that, like, oh, I've been on this job. For 30 years, kid, and it doesn't get any better. But he's kind of just like he enjoys it. He has it. He's kind of just chilling and vibing with the with the Florida lifestyle of being a cop here. But both of their routines are disrupted when they uncover a massive money laundering scheme, uh, going through underground casinos run, in part at least, by uh, Irving Rosenfeld, Christian Bale's character from American Hustle. I had to bring in a Christian Bale character as my rule. So the rule I use, or the character I use, is his character from American Hustle who I assume was a real person. But when I looked it up, he's a fictionalized version of a couple people. So I felt all right by changing his past up a bit. And this takes place in 1985. So it'd be like a little bit earlier than the American Hustle stuff, kind of like around that time of it, I believe. So it'd be sort of like one of those past schemes he was involved in throughout that time of American Hustle. And he sort of does work like similarly to he did with American Hustle. He's sort of like a con man. He's playing like both sides of this kind of game. And he's working alongside with Ethan Hawke a bit, trying to sort of be the cop's kind of spy on the inside sometimes. He's also working against the cops, trying to make money for himself and his business. So he's kind of this supporting character who's like this criminal kind of guy that's running the underworld and trying to out for his own gain. And Michael B. Jordan is working undercover, and he's kind of starting to lose his identity a bit. He's starting to get his real world and his relationship with his wife uh, his, new wife at that point, and uh, he's been working so much, he's been in this undercover kind of personality for so long that he's kind of losing connection with his family, not seeing him as much, so he's struggling in his personal life, and they all come together on this big kind of case, and we see Ethan Hawke's this kind of slacker cop, but he knows what he's doing, he really gets the job done, he knows how to talk to these criminals and have them get along with them and tell them something otherwise wouldn't tell him. so they get this big sting operation on these guys, and it plays out like you would expect any really good heist movie to play out. I have it directed by Steven Soderbergh. He's the heist master. I want to see him get back to a genre that he's really done a lot of great work in. He hasn't been in a heist movie in a while. And he hasn't directed a heist movie in a while, so it would be fun to see him get back to that. I think he'd give it really a sleek kind of shine to it that you'd see it at a Miami out of Miami Vice. The original had a very sleek digital look to it, and I think Soderbergh can bring a nice sleekness to it as well. So you have that through line. And I also have a little bit of a through line of Don Johnson having a cameo as the police captain. That would be fun as he played the uh, cop on the TV show. So I have that. It's just a, basically a crime thriller taking down this underground gambling. And of course, uh, like always, Irving Rosenfeld comes out on top for himself in the end. He gets out and he flees. And we kind of get this cu- cute little setup where he's heading out to maybe go into the events of American Hustle. And that's my pitch for Miami Vice.
2: All right. Okay. Yeah. You guys have questions for us? Oh
0: yeah. If you don't have a question, uh, Bobby, I have a question.
1: Yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm still kind of, I don't think I do, but I'll see if I can come up with something.
0: All right, Your my question doesn't really have anything direct to do with your pitches, but in the, you know, te- television show and a little bit in the movie that the TV show is based on, uh, the two main characters had the iconic look of like a blazer over a t-shirt, which basically became a trend at that point. But that looks kind of been taken over somewhat by nerds at this point. So it's not as cool of a look. So I want to know like how, what are your main characters? Like what's, do they have like an iconic look for their movie to set a new, new trend? Are they just going to wear kind of average street clothes?
2: I mean, mine would be more average street clothes for the heroes, but I would give Joaquin Phoenix as the drug dealer more of like the, kind of nerdy like he would be the um homage to the original outfit wearing the blazer over t-shirt type of look and having kind of crazy pants and like I hate Don Cherry but like the Don Cherry type (laughs) of like blazers and stuff um I, I think that would be a fun homage to the original if you know a lot about the original show or know some about the episodes I have some homages to there but I kind of flip things on their heads so I wanted to do that too with like Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix can have like the style that the detectives in the original
3: had. Yeah, in mine, I would have Michael B. Jordan be a bit obviously more chill. He's a sort of like a plain white undershirt, black jeans kind of guy. And my Ethan Hawke, I have him as like that beachy kind of guy. So he'd be all about like his beach shirts and his dad shirts and things like that. But I would have a a fun moment where they go into like a meeting with John Johnson as their their boss. And Ethan Hawke has to get dressed up nice for this one. So he puts a blazer on over his Hawaiian shirt and that's his dress up. Or he wants to look nice. It's a nice throwback to what Johnny or what Joe mentioned. But you don't want to. I think it fits better for the character for me walking around in like Hawaiian dad shirts and things like that for Ethan Hawk's character.
0: All right, I like both of those answers. So it's we're at 39 minutes right now. So you have until uh, 44, and I'll stop you. I'll give a warning this time, so you can find it out.
2: So Tristan started last time. I'll start on this. I mean. I, I think his wrinkle and time pitch, like when I fought against that, I legitimately didn't like that idea, but I think his movie sounds fine. Like I'd go, I'd go see it. Um, Steven Soderbergh can make a decent movie. The problem I have with it is I don't necessarily see the Steven Soderbergh type of heist movie really fitting in with the rest of Tristan's story, because it's not like, um, even kind of like an American hustle type of movie of, you know you have this but you know the plan throughout and then you have some reveals but like the steven soderbergh like logan lucky was the best movie he's made in a long time maybe since the first oceans movie and it still sticks so strongly to that formula that if i'm watching um a steven soderbergh heist movie i want it to stick to that formula of you think everything's going wrong and then at the end it has this flash cut of all of these uh scenes of them doing these things, but I don't necessarily think that fits with a Miami vice movie. And I don't necessarily think that fits with the rest of your plot. So that'd be my main hit against just like the director choice. And then I think if you went away from his formula, I don't think he's shown um, the strength as a director to make an interesting movie outside of that formula. So I just don't think the, the, the typical Soderbergh formula kind of meshes well with the rest of your pitch. Um, for exactly. that, I
3: want to say that I didn't go too much into, like, their actual plan of taking down the casino because I was already getting a bit long-winded on the beginning part. But its it does have those sort of big kind of heist elements where they're trying to make sure they get it at the exact right time. They want to make sure that everybody's in the room at the same time. And Michael B. Jordan is in there undercover trying to plant hints to make sure, like, oh, figure out who's the leaders, figure out who's in charge so that they can all be, like, in this casino at the time we sting it. And then they have to manipulate, kind of socially manipulate people to make sure, like, oh, they don't leave. And you have this scary moment where, like, everyone's kind of, you think, oh, the bad guys are all about to leave before the cops can get here. And they have to sort of outsmart them at the last second. And then you see that it was kind of part of it all along. You had that kind of big, that, that Soderbergh heist kind of feel to the to the final act of the movie. I didn't get too much into that. But, yeah, you have that where they're trying to take down this big main casino. And they, they spent the whole movie building up to getting to every, maybe making sure everybody's in the same room at the same time, making sure everybody's culpable. And that's my sort of Soderbergh heist element to that movie or to to my movie.
2: Okay. I I think too, with mine, again, like, your sounds like a movie I'd throw on, you know, and and stream and play video games while I watch it, but mine, I think, has the elements that I'd be looking for if I wanted to make like a legitimately cool like Miami Vice movie because I I already sold the Scorsese stuff, but the other thing, the the part of that show that kind of gets forgotten and something that wasn't an element in the Michael Mann version was In the original show, the reason I I went with the Evan character is because the most iconic episode of that show was an an episode called Evan. And it is revealed that an undercover agent was a former lover of Crockett, who I kind of flipped that on its head by having the young detective, the young up-and-comer be the guy that is morally, like, um, you know, obligated by that and feels like he needs to kind of protect this guy. And then the older detective kind of showing him the ropes and being like, look, you cannot let these things affect your detective work. So I want that element in it. And I don't necessarily see that from yours. Um, There's a lot of, you know, that Miami Vice was an older show. And in that show, you have Tubbs saying shit to Crockett, like, you know, if you were never gay, none of this would have happened and things like that, that don't hold up. So I wanted to bring in some elements, but modernize it and, and, um, and give those characters some interactions that that would work. I think Donald Glover and Don Cheadle would be good. Um, Justin Timberlake I think has turned into a good actor too if anyone has seen the movie Palmer that's the best performance he's ever put in his career and that came out last year um, I, I think he's shown his acting force and I'm always down Joaquin Phoenix um, working with Martin Scorsese as a villain I think would just be something I can't really miss and, mm-hmm. and I would want him to be kind of the eccentric drug dealer working in a Scorsese movie and put in like that Jack Nicholson the Departed performance that is something super memorable yeah, um, I will two say minutes, that. Two I up. want
3: to say that I like my cast a lot more than Eustre. I have Joaquin Phoenix, but I have Michael B. Jordan. I have Ethan Hawke. I think those are two of my favorite actors. Well, working I, today. I don't think Ethan
2: Hawke. I, I mean, I would say our Christian cast, Bale. I would honestly, say they're about the same. Christian Bale. First of all, okay, getting into that. Michael I mean, B. Jordan is the same as Michael your Michael B. Cast? Jordan and Donald Glover, I think, are are comparable to me. And Donald Glover just hasn't gotten the chance to be that leading man, but he's the best part in The Martian. Um, and anything he really appears in. Don Cheadle is better than Ethan Hawke. He's done way more interesting stuff than he's done. I don't ever think done, that's true. Those Ethan Hawke is, one, is one of the best
3: actors working right now.
2: Don Cheadle is really. like a character actor. And then, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is better than any movie. If you've seen American Hustle, your movie does not make sense to be a prequel to American Hustle because it completely changes the character of, um, you know, I know he's a made-up character, but he's kind of this lowly guy in the beginning of american hustle and then like has dreams of being bigger in your movie he's already kind of established and it doesn't make sense like if you watched your movie and then watched american hustle you'd be like what the fuck is this i disagree with you on that
3: too i think he's small time here he's running this one underground casino he's not running like the entire miami beach he's not running all of florida he's running this like one money laundering big casino that's growing a bit bigger and bigger than his britches and then he collapses here and you see him When he gets to American Hustle, he's down on his nothing because he lost everything he had in Miami.
2: I guess, but I mean, I think it's a stretch. I think if you had him in there and he had a side part and he was like um, consulting with the guy who actually ran the casino, I think maybe that works. But I just don't see... As someone who loves American hospital. and I, I also wrote in really here too that following.
3: he's not running the casino; he's just one of the parts of the people who is like among the cogs running in the casino. He's not the big main head guy. He's trying to get there, and that's All part right. of his game throughout this. All story. right, time's
0: up unless Bobby needs more time because I think
1: I know. Where no, I'm it. good. Yeah, okay. I think we were we are I think we were on a similar page.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Um, so I'll say mine first. I think it. This was a close bet, a close one to me. Um, and I think that both movies sound good. But it just kind of comes down to to me which movies stood out as far as the plot and as far as the, uh, the actors involved. And to me, that was Tristan's. Um, I, I think I, I really liked his leads. I liked the dynamic that he kind of laid out between the characters. I didn't quite like I, I knew that di- I knew what Johnny was going for, but I could really picture Tristan's. Um, and I think that's important for Miami Vice for the two lead characters. Um, and I really like Kristen ba- Bale's character as the villain. So even though it's close, it's just kind of the characters that are standing out. Even though I think Johnny has a slight edge in director choice on it, I think that heist element um, would make it a fun movie. So that's where I'm leaning.
0: Yeah, I was kind of the same way, especially with the heist element. And I, I think, like, no one's going to argue that, uh, like, Scorsese or that Soderbergh is a better director than Scorsese, but I feel like for what they were pitching, I feel like. I like Soderbergh. as, like this fun heist movie, cop movie, buddy cop movie combination for a director. Where I feel like Johnny's is just like another kind of Scorsese cop drama, which
2: mm-hmm. which we've gotten like one of. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, but it's like Departed for me. Departed for me is still not one I like regularly go back to. As far as Scorsese Scorsese movies, it's not like the one I'm. Super hyped about where I love Ocean's. You're, 11, big side of,
2: you're a big side effects fan. Yeah, I love yeah, side big, effects. Big Soderbergh, yeah, like movies where he's. He the 2021 Oscars? Ocean's 11. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good twist in the 2021 Oscars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm waiting, I, I, I I'm waiting for the reveal.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I think my movie sounds better, but I missed some of Tristan's plot because I fucked myself going into this. And I'm not going to, you know make excuses but i I, fu- I fucked up because i just had the wrong rule choice and i missed how the fuck detectives and a heist movie made any sense together but i didn't attack that because i don't know what the fuck the plot was so
1: yeah it made sense oh. I, I think cause I- it sounded like a fun movie to me so was this were the rule for you johnny
2: planning, were the detectives planning the heist they end up getting involved
3: into the high school it's not it's, be, it's less of a high, yeah they're in the heist oh. sort of but it's like they're planning like a sting as a heist sort of in a way Still stupid, but okay, cool. Is um, this the rule for you that you uh, messed
2: up the rule on?
1: No, 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 he's getting there. I can tell he's still working <laughs> on another one.
2: I, I think I'm, I'm good right now, but I the I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I fucked up on. I just had it down as our normal resurrect an actor's career, but I didn't see that it had to be the, the lead, lead role. role. Hmm. So I had to change two pitches completely because I had a like not necessarily the lead role was the resurrected career. So I had to change things super on the fly, and I think I've come to the point where it's worked out. But that, but as soon as Bobby read that, I was like, "Oh fuck!" And I had to go make some changes because, like, one of my favorite pitches, I had that rule, and I couldn't lose because I messed up the rule choice. So that's that's why. Um, all right, we're, we're gonna okay. go to. Don't forget to update the uh, scoreboard either.
1: Yep. Um, we're
2: going to go to one that's like a shorter pitch for mine, I think. And we're going to go to the fucking movie. Just thank you guys so much for this one. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. All right. Yeah,
0: that, man. that is uh, my pick. So I will be judging. Thanks. <laughs> fucking
2: asshole.
1: <laughs> All right. I, so, I, think, I think you're going to really uh, enjoy Joe's picks of movies.
0: <laughs> yeah. I picked some yeah. bright ones. Okay. All right, so we have The Sorcerer's Apprentice. It came out in 2010, got a 40% in Rotten Tomatoes, which is 60% too. Uh, so <laughs> D- Dave Stuckler, played Something by like J- that. Jay Baruchel, is just an average guy, but the wizard Balthazar, Blake, played by Nicolas Cage, sees in him a hidden talent for sorcery. He becomes Balthazar's reluctant protege, getting a crash course in the art of magic. As Dave prepares to help his mentor defend Manhattan from a powerful adversary played by Alfred Molina, he wonders if he can survive the training, save the city, and find his true love. That's what Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. yeah. sense anyways.
1: <laughs> all right, and I think Johnny said uh, in the chat that Tristan's going to go first because he's uh, stepping away for a second.
3: Yeah, you know, he mentioned that he had a short pitch for this one, and I also have a short pitch for this one, so hopefully he has a very quick bathroom break because – my rule for source Wizard Apprentice was that I must use only past and present SNL cast members. Mm, and I think, that, uh, I think that the uh, easy way <laughs> to use that for sure, that, especially with this movie, like this is not a good one. And like Johnny said, it was a hard one to, to do. So my direction for this was that I made it sort of essentially like a pop star never stopping parody of Big scale kind of fantasy blockbusters, you know, and the ones, even the ones like this that try to launch a franchise and have a bunch of lore and a bunch of setup for like all this deep stuff and then it never goes anywhere. And I'll have my cast right here. I have Andy Samberg as Dave. He plays sort of like a washed up man child who'd rather show up to work drunk and, and fight with customers. And he's just kind of like this typical Andy Samberg kind of like doofus guy. He's never done much with his life, but he wanders out into the Woods on a drunken night one night with his friends and where he happens to find a cave with a magical sword and he pulls the sword out of the stone and a sorcerer's apprentice comes down and tells him, You've been chosen to be the savior of mankind, you're the magical guardian of the earth and all this stuff, and says, Oh, you're gonna protect the realms from the seven deadlies uh wizards and all this lore stuff and the guy who and, and then uh the guy who appears there is Bill Hader as like a Yen Sid type ancient wizard guy. He's in like a wizard uh beard a wizard robe he's playing this kind of like ancient wisdom kind of guy he's trying to explain to andy sandberg all of these rules and all this lore and all this backstory but andy sandberg of course has been drunk the whole night so he's like in and out of consciousness he's asking him all these dumb questions and he's just kind of not really there and bill is getting more and more and more annoyed because he's taking himself very seriously you know he's the unsaid wizard he's he, this is some serious shit and you can tell by by the end of the scene, he just get more and more annoyed with Andy Samberg. So they have that relationship throughout this movie of like these peckering two people who are on this adventure together. And Andy Samberg is there just by happenstance. And Bill Hader is there because he's like cosmically bound to this sword. And he has to be the protector of the guardian of the sword. But when he draws that sword, he also draws the power of evil. So evil awakens. And we have the, the bad sorcerer, the leader of the kind of dark magic on this movie, is played by uh, Jorma Tacone. And he also directs the movie. And uh, the two kind of witches that are like his sidekicks, the witches that are going out and kind of fighting him, they have are Kristen Wiig and AD Bryant, both really funny SNL cast members. I think they'd have some great interactions with each other as these two witches. And, uh, and we do have a flashback where when Bill Hader kind of explains the origin story of this and we flashback to King Arthur times and for uh, my King Arthur I have a cameo role from Adam Sandler because I feel like it would be fun to make him like the king of, of old England or whatever. And it's Adam Sandler. And he passes down the sword essentially through generations to Andy Sandberg's Dave. And they go on this adventure where they have to fight against these witches and they hit all the typical like fantasy movie tropes. And then Bill Hader starts explaining what's happening. And of course Andy Sandberg doesn't listen, doesn't follow the rules and does it his own way and still somehow gets out and wins. You know, he doesn't, he says, Oh, you must fight the dragon of the seven kings. And then there's this big seven headed dragon, and Andy Samberg just kind of like walks behind him or something, you know, stuff like that. Where you you play up these big fantasy moments and then they get subverted. And I think that'd be kind of fun. You make it this really fun SNL filled cast that's just taking these failed franchises like you talked about today and last week and the next two weeks, essentially, even and and turning them on their head and making a fun parody of those failed movies. And that's Matt Pitt Who's Apprentice. All right. And who was your director on that one? Oh, my director was, uh, Daroma Tacone. He, he, co-directed the pop.
1: So I never stopped popping. Okay. Yep. All
0: yeah. right. I think that's the longest pitch I've ever heard after someone said, I have a short pitch. So
1: that's, I still go Im- you know? improving. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I, but I did enjoy it. All right. Uh, Johnny, Me what too. do you got? What do you got for?
2: So Tristan, I happen to match up on the same rule of this. We must use past and present SNL cast members. Um, we went a similar direction, but a little different. Mine's not so much a parody as far as just kind of a straight up like a, like a comedy. Um, and, and I think mine just works a little better. And We'll get into that. But my directors are John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who did one of the best comedies the last 10 years, Game Night. Um, my Balthazar is played by Will Forte, um, just a fucking legend. I love Will Forte. Um, my Dave, uh, is my lead. That's going to be played by Pete Davidson, um, who the King of Staten Island was shorted at the Oscars. I think that movie was fantastic. Um, my Becky is going to be played by Melissa Villa's Um, I don't necessarily know how to say her name, but she is one of the only actresses I really like on SNL right now. Um, and my Horvath, the evil, uh, uh sorcerer is going to be played by Kyle Mooney, who is another guy who's really funny on SNL is not necessarily on screen much, but he has the look. If you just look him up, if you are not familiar with Kyle Mooney, he looks like a fucking sorcerer like that dude. He's got the long hair. He's got the nerdy look. Like I could totally see him in this role. And and if you know some of his characters on SNL, he could pull this off pretty well. Um, So this is my pitch. Um, Dave and his girlfriend, Becky are, are kind of uh, low life stoners. And one night they get high, um, and decide to break into a museum. They find an old tablet and a very protective security wing that is connected to old sorcery, so it says. Joking Ron, Dave sneaks in and reads the tablet. This sends them. This sends both him and Becky to another dimension full of sorcerers. This um, Dave and Becky both think they must have gotten laced with something at first, but the stakes raise as the film goes on. Um, Dave is taken under the wing of the obscure Balthazar, played again by the legendary will forte um who's kind of this over-the-top sorcerer who believes that dave um, shows things that he is not necessarily aware of and has motivations that he um, doesn't see in himself and can become a great sorcerer and a great leader um and this all happens while the young couple finds themselves in a war between balthazar and the evil sorcerer horvath who is trying to murder them all and make sure they can't return to the modern timeline. So that's essentially mine. Um, the moral of it is basically these two stoners that don't have much going on, that don't believe in themselves, really um, go into this alternate dimension and realize they have something in themselves. And it's it, it's a it's a kind of by the numbers like uh, plot wise for a comedy. But I think if you look at Game Night, it's it's very similar. But John Francis Dale and Jonathan Goldstein make something super memorable out of uh, something that could have failed. And I think this is a fun thing. I think my actors are better for the roles that they're in. Um, and it would end with, basically, you have this big fight. They end up winning. Dave shows that he can actually fight for himself. And and same with Becky. And they team up to defeat uh, Horvath. And then they wake up. And Dave wakes up in uh, his bed in modern times and is like, yo, I just had this crazy dream. And he goes to visit Becky. And she's like, I don't think that was a dream. And then it ends and then, um, you know, it's more to show like they don't believe in themselves, but they kind of go on this crazy adventure to learn that they, they have what it takes to make it in modern day society when they're kind of doubting themselves uh, to begin with. So I think that's a good character arc
1: for, for the lead. And I think it works for the movie.
0: All right. Uh, Bobby, do you have any questions for them?
1: Yeah. um, For Tristan, uh, so I know your is, yours is a parody more of the genre, but are, do you have any specific parody moments towards other movies in yours? Like that reference specifically, uh, anything else?
3: I didn't have a ton of very specific uh, parody stuff. I thought it was more just take like the tropes of a genre and sort of the beats and the archetypes of a genre. Because even when you have Yen Sid in there, you're kind of directly parodying stuff already. Like you're going to parody like Sword in the Stone and stuff like that. And when he pulls the sword out of the stone, you're parodying that too. And I, I like to just parody sort of the tropes and the archetypes and the, and the beats of the genre rather than something specific within the genre
1: like specific movies or characters or tv shows okay and then for johnny um game night had the standout side character uh play, neighbor played by jesse Plemons. um who do you think would be that type of character in this movie that would kind of be kind of steal the show side character type
2: well, my lead would be Pete Davidson and and, and Becky, um, played by Melissa Villasenor. But I think the, the person that really, the two that steal the show are Will Forte and Kyle Mooney as their sorcerer roles. I think that Jesse Plemons played this great, like, obscure character, and he did that very well. And these two, which I think have shown on SNL, that, like, I hate when most of the sketches are like, oh, we're going to play these really crazy characters because those... 99% of the time don't work. But Will Forte as MacGruber is such an underrated character. And that movie is one of the funniest movies ever. And I think it doesn't get its its say. So you put Will Forte, who completely stole the show and I think you should leave, had the best role in that whole show. And he's in one skit where they're on the airplane. Um, you give him the ability to just kind of be all out crazy. Will Forte makes more sense to me um, in that role. And then Kyle is like the evil... Um, Orvar is like the epitome of like what they really, really want. To do like the Smurfs movie like, the movie, like you could actually do it with like an RPG, um, character played by an actual funny actor.
1: Okay. And as far as our NFL Watch Along goes, the draft—it's um, sure, very right odd now. that the Kings of Leon—that Kings of Leon—are opening it up. Uh, very odd band choice. Well, their sex is on fire,
2: Bobby. It
1: is, but they were playing. I think You Somebody, which is a very odd thing for the draft. Modern, modern days. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I
2: right.
0: think that was. <laughs> All, right, um... All right, Joe. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a question for Tristan, My question, because Tristan kind of answered my question for Johnny, and that's more of, like, Tristan said where his comedy is coming from. Like, what are some, like, comedic moments, or, like, where does your comedy come from in your movie, Johnny?
2: I think mine would mainly be, like, um, basically two star characters thinking that all this is maybe fake, and then progressively getting into this and being like, this shit maybe isn't fake. Like, that hurt. Like, like um, Will Forte, like, blowing him away, like Pete Davidson away, with this magic and sending him across the room and him being like, like, what the fuck was that for? Like things like that, like I think would work well. And Pete Davidson plays that well. If you watch the, like the, the fight that he has in um, the King of Staten Island, when he gets thrown into the pool and he's like, you just tried to drown me. And then uh, uh, Bill Burr or whatever is like, dude, you're like seven foot tall. You're (laughs) fine. I I think those moments work well for their comedy. And I want to play towards the actors in the movie very well.
0: And quick question for Tristan, who is your lead? My lead is Andy Sandberg. Okay, right, right, right. All right, so there's, it's like one hour, one minute, 50 seconds on the clock right now. We'll go for five minutes, and I'll warn you at two minutes. So, yeah, fight it out.
3: I'll go first on this one since you went on the last one. And I I like my cast a lot. I think Bill Hader in particular would be a really fun in that Yen Sid role. I think I could see him playing that really straight. And you could see as he gets more and more annoyed, you could start to see, like, the really serious side, like, that slipping a bit and he starts to become a bit more jaded a bit more like angry you know and you can see that Bill Hader slipping out behind this like facade of the Yen Sid so I think that would be a really fun performance for Bill Hader I think he's shown a lot of range whether it's between Barry or whether it's a lot of his more comedic roles so I think Bill Hader could definitely definitely pull that Yen Sid kind of role off I think that's definitely where I see the most shine in my cast I also really like Kristen Wiig and uh, AD Bryant as the two witches I think they'd play off each other pretty well, and they're not huge roles either, so I don't think you have to worry about like them playing these characters too big or too long. They're in they're in their scenes, and they have their parts in the story that kind of make fun of these villain characters that show up, but they're not the main characters. I think Andy Samberg can hold it down. Bill Hader can hold it down. Those are two great people who have led movies themselves and led TV shows themselves, and I think those are great leads. I have a lot of faith in them to lead these movies, so that's my I, I feel strongly about my cast.
2: Yeah, I would say – I mean, I was worried at first when you cast Bill Hader because I think he is only good if he's playing more of a toned-down character. That's when he said his funniest. But I was worried you'd go, like, over the top with him. And and I think while the character itself – I think a movie about fucking sorcerers and shit, I think you should go maybe more over the top. Um, Your use of Bill Hader was smart as far as who you cast. I just don't think it fits – Like if you go for a comedy movie about sorcerers and especially if it's a parody of things, like I don't necessarily think that's the right direction to go, but I agree that it was much better than being like, Oh, Bill Hader's this crazy kooky character that always sucks when he tries to do that. But I do worry. Yes. It's in a smaller role, but Kristen Wiig is at her worst, absolute worst. Whenever she is like this over the top uh, character and she would 100% do that in this because she's only not done that in maybe two or three movies ever. Um, and she's the worst. I can't fucking stand Kristen Wiig. So don't put that shit in here. She's only ever been good in the Skeleton Twins. This is more of a drama. Um, and same with like The Martian when she doesn't actually try to tell jokes. So I don't need like those obscure like SNL you know characters being played by those two women that just every time it happens I feel like gives the wrong people on social media more fucking ammunition to be like, well women aren't funny. Just look at these fucking performances. And I hate that shit. But You know that would just add fuel to the fire. um But I think if you're going with a movie like that, like it's called The Sorcerer's Apprentice for one, and you cast Andy sandberg as the apprentice of of Bill Hader, basically, they were born in the same fucking year. They're the same age. That's not like a Sorcerer's Apprentice type of thing. I know Andy sandberg plays more of the man child, but they are really both the same. Bill Bill Hader is not.
3: I mean, he's playing an ancient wizard who's coming down from like old age of old did, yeah but like
2: i think if you're going to kind of parody these movies like you need someone younger as the 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 forefront and i don't get andy sandberg as your role for that well, my parody and i don't I think you're really parody many anything the parody, things. The parody is that the whole but no is that doesn't movies. work like that doesn't work for what you're going for i think if you're going to try to parody these you needed to maybe do someone younger in the lead role um, because that's how
3: it always is and i think that's the point like these are the sort of stories where it's like oh you have this random outcast from normal society gets chosen to be the savior and i wanted to do that but make him a little bit older he's not just like a high school outcast he's like this man child adult who's forever been kind of in a rest development of his high school age and i think that's more funny than just another high school kid getting this ancient power
2: i don't know i don't think so i i, I think um i think if you're going with this like i want to see a comedy that kind of has growth of characters and I don't need to see a uh, 40, 40 year old Andy Samberg have any growth as a character in a movie. And I get it's a parody, but at least he, you know, like in Palm Springs is a great movie and he shows growth as a character, but that's not the same type of shit that's going on in yours. I, I think just the development of, of, especially like Pete Davidson's character would go pretty well in mine. I think it would actually pay homage to like the, the actual story frame around it and yours you say it's a parody but it isn't like because there's nothing like your movie that's out that you're really like okay i'm going to take like these movies and take specific things and parody those it's more of just we're going to make a dumb comedy like um you know pop star is a great movie but we're just going to make a pop star type movie set in like sorcerer world and i don't, I don't really get that so i um bobby me with his comment mid-sentence um but yeah, I, anyway, I, I think going back to it, I think the strength of this movie is you have kind of the the more straight role characters being the lead, and then you have all these obscure, crazy characters around them. And I think it kind of fails if you, the most obscure, crazy character is your lead, and then all the characters around him it are like the more down-to-earth people. I don't think that's as funny as if, you have, like, two people that think this shit's just like, oh, this shit's crazy, and you have them kind of right. reacting. All I think right.
0: that's the is...
1: humor. It's like game night.
0: The initial five minutes is up. Uh, what I'm going to do, because I'm still torn 50-50, I don't know where Bobby stands. But I'm, the one...
1: I'm in the same, same boat.
0: The one part that's really bothering me right now is your villains. Like, I don't know, like, I know Kyle Mooney, but I don't know if he necessarily, like, I see him as like the big villain sorcerer and i agree with what johnny said earlier of like ad bryant and kristen wigg so uh if anyone particularly wants to go first i'm just going to give you like a minute each to defend your villain choice and i think that might help me make my decision because i don't know if i'm really sold on either villain choice
3: uh i'll go first on mine i think that i have these three uh villains that kind of lead together so that now that one of them is sort of like the overshadowing person that takes on like all of the comedy weight. You know, I think I don't want Chris and Wig individually having to carry all of the villain comedy roles. I don't want 80 Bryant to be individually having to carry all the villain comedy stuff. I don't want uh, Jorma Tacone to be carrying all of the villain stuff by himself. I have this trio of villains who are able to have play very different characters from each other and also play off of each other. So I think you can say you're not a huge fan of e- these people individually, but I think when you take them all at their best and, and, and you can edit out the worst. like you just have these three people performing these different roles and I think you can get the best out of all three of them without having to rely on any of them as like the main comedy villain you know and I think that each hit can play different kind of tropes for these characters too which is because it's a parody I want to have them all sort of playing like these different like exaggerated tropes of what these villains would be so I think you you have these three different actors in that in those three different roles that's what i like a lot about mine i think they have the talent and they have the variety to play what the director chooses for them to play so i think that like you said pop Stop that popping is a great one and i think they can get great performances out of people all that right. otherwise aren't super great so i'm i'm confident in it i went over my time but all right yeah uh, you
0: were finishing up your yeah. thoughts i'll let you go uh johnny sing
2: i would say this kyle mooney if you've never seen the kyle and leslie sketches on snl are maybe the best things they do right now and he plays this super over the top character and that's what i want to go with i want to go with someone whose actual strength is being an over-the-top funny character and tristan went with Kristen wig who at her worst is over the top same with the other actors she has in there amy bryant too like those people are unwatchable on snl but they're good if they do little spin-off movies and they do things where they're more down to earth more yeah like little small roles in my movie yeah but like those are your main villains like no matter what you say about small roles like those are your villains and even your main villain like tristan casts a bunch of people that at their worst are over the top i i want with someone whose strength is to be um you know a funny dude who can do over the top things he doesn't have a ton to do on snl um but those are ones that like if you look at like what's most popular on youtube for snl he's one of those people that appears and he can be funny in that role and i think that's what separates the villain because in this you need a good funny over-the-top villain and not fucking Kristen wig being like the stupid ass drunk woman she played on like the um uh celebrity jeopardy when she is unwatchable right. um i'd rather have a villain that is, is steals the show than people that are unwatchable right. in the roles you cast them in. all right
0: i know i think i have my decision locked in uh bobby what are your okay. thoughts
1: I'm still relatively torn, so I'm glad you have a decision since you're making it, but uh, I really like the idea of Tristan's movie, the way he pitched it, and I really like Johnny's director choice and the kind of perpetual comedy of game night for this type of movie. Uh, So those two points are are kind of battling in my head as far as what I prefer, Um, and I think, I don't know, it's tough. I think I'm leaning towards Johnny, on this one just because of i think some of his cast choices um and the director choice but this is like a 51 49 i really like both pitches
2: also kyle mooney greatest baby yoda on uh, the weekend update if you've ever seen that all right. fantastic all right so basically what
0: it came down to like i said was the villains and
2: uh
0: it kind of basically the movie is do you want like a wizard version of pop star or ne- Never Stop, Never Stopping, or a wizard version of The King of Staten Island, which are two movies I really like. However, uh, Tristan kind of kept the same director, and Johnny, uh, I think, improved in the director area. I think uh, the directors of Game Night are better than Jed Apatow, which gave him a little bit of boost. But also when Mm -hmm. it came down to the villain argument, what I heard a lot more, what Tristan's, what he said, I don't know if necessarily what he meant, but to his it almost sounded like he didn't have faith in all of them. And so it's kind of like trying to win by committee where Johnny's felt more like a strong one singular villain, which I liked. And then one thing I was waiting for Johnny to bring up uh, and he never did. And so I wasn't really going to count it against Tristan, but it did. It didn't help was I don't think Joe McTacone was ever technically a cast member. I think he was just, uh, right. Yeah, I was gonna say
2: that, but I don't know enough about SNL to Yeah, to yeah that wasn't a deciding think,
0: assumption, but I didn't
2: yeah. I, that that was that it.
0: wasn't a deciding thing for me, but that it was just kind of confirmed in my pick. So I am going with Johnny. It wasn't like a thing that, like that it was like, oh he was only a staff member, so you lose. It yeah. was more of like, okay, I'm kind of leaning Johnny here and that was more of just like a confirmation of I'm going by yeah, like I had
2: I had people it was, it was at very first. Close I had to, me. to I had to change things around. My original Balthazar was uh, Jason Bateman and then I was like, oh wait, he was never an actual member, so I had to change it and I found and I was way happier with Will Forte anyway because yeah. Jason Bateman looks absolutely terrible in fucking Thunder Force. And RIP all their careers after that movie. All
0: right, uh, Trust then.
3: Let's go with the Remo Williams, the adventure right. begins. 1985
0: All right. classic. Alright, and this was also oh, my yeah. pick, so I am judging this round as well. And who is going first? Uh, I'll go first on this one. Alright, so Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins came out in 1985. It got a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, it's about a New York cop who wakes up from a mysterious accident with a new identity. He finds himself in the employ of a secret unit which was set up to investigate a dangerous industrialist whose organization has secured several government armament contracts, including a top-secret strate- strategic defense system. Uh, I should probably read these before I uh, try to say them live on the internet. So, there we go. All right. Um, Remo Williams. This is a movie I'd never it's even
3: a heard movie. of. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I didn't even know it existed until it was chosen for this episode. So Me I either. Intense research. I watched the movie. I watched a lot of videos about the movie. I watched some stuff just... <laughs> generally about like a making of the movie and then i decided you know what fuck that movie i'm throwing out the entire plot of that movie and i'm just gonna make my own <laughs> so i have like the basic basic uh, uh thing in it but it's basically my own story and uh my director is pete travis who did dread i think he has kind of the action style i'm going for in this movie uh and my cast i have wyatt russell fresh off a of fucking the winter soldier where he killed it on there literally he's playing remo williams in this <laughs> Uh, he's a war vet resurrected by a megacorp called Cure. Cure is a multi-trillion-dollar technology company with some control in nearly every major market, and they're trying to premiere a cure for death. So I'm going for sort of like this not super serious sort of action movie. You're not supposed to be thinking too hard about what's happening. But we open with a flashback to uh, the war where Remo Williams—he's the top of his game here. He's leading a squad of soldiers into a strike on a base. He's giving orders. He's taken down. You know, bad guys in this war, and they charge and take down this base, and they discover that within the base is this kind of large scale advanced science lab. And they're very confused like, this wasn't on their list, it wasn't part of the target. They're not sure what's going on but before they can figure it out. The doors are all locked, they're all trapped, and they're seemingly all executed. So, de- decades later, Remo wakes up. He's been uh, preserved and, re- and resurrected by a company called Cure, who, like I said, is trying to cure death. They're this sort of mega corp that's trying to have the next huge big hit product be we're going to cure death and they've been using it by resurrecting these test subjects whether they're soldiers who died in combat or it's people who dedicated their bodies to science things like that and they've been having some good luck but the problems are some subjects are just coming back kind of different or changed or violent even and some of them are really hungry for human brains because my rule for this is that I had to make Remo Williams' The Adventure Returns a zombie movie. Oh, good work, Bobby. So Cure has been bringing these people back, and the problem is that it's not going it been too been. well. They're starting to turn into zombies, and uh, like, I I didn't mention it earlier, but of course Cure is located primarily within the Statue of Liberty. Their base is in the Statue of Liberty, and so they have all of these zombified uh, creatures here in this lab, and... Uh, Meanwhile, he's, uh, Remo Williams is going to meet with his, his son, who he learns is alive and still, uh, living there in New York. So his son comes to meet him and in walks Kurt Russell playing Wyatt Russell's son. <coughs> Grown up and fully <laughs> adult now, we have his son, uh, Kurt Russell and the adult, uh, Wyatt Russell, who now have to sort of retake this base together because when he's there visiting is of course, happenstance, when the zombies get out, they overtake this base and they have to work together, whether it's Rima Williams, a trained killer from decades old, or it's uh, Kurt Russell, a a gunman for hire, retired now. He's old. He hasn't worked in a while, but together, this father and son duo of uh, Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell work together to take down these zombies, to take down Cure, and they have this big final battle at the Statue of Liberty to the original, where they're fighting on the scaffolding. They're killing all these zombies. They have this big kind of battle up the Statue of Liberty to finally take it back and save the city because that's Remo Williams. You know, The Adventure Rises, that's my title, and it's a zombie movie. What do you want? You got Wyatt Russell, you got Kurt Russell fighting side by side, and Kurt Russell's the son, Wyatt Russell's the dad. Fun little twist on that, and that's my
1: pitch for Remo Williams. All right, Wyatt uh, Russell loves his zombie movies. Yeah, yeah Wyatt Russell being in another shitty zombie would be
0: great.
2: You um, mean a great zombie movie sounds a little too much like Overlord, which was terrible. Um, okay, so here's my, my pitch. Um, and again, I had to change a couple things on this one, and I was very upset about it. But, here's my thing. My director is Coralie Forgy, who did a fucking amazing movie, uh, called Revenge, um, If anyone has never seen it, it's on uh, Shudder on Amazon Prime. I recommend that channel. There's a million great movies on there. But she uh, is a great director and has shown the action and and stuff that I'm looking for. My Remo Williams is going to be played by someone who just made himself a goddamn superstar in my eyes. And that's Max Huang, who was uh, um, in Mortal Kombat as, I literally just fucking wrote it down, as Kung Lao, the dude with the fucking sombrero as uh, Kano would call him. He made himself a goddamn star. He stole that movie. He's my lead as Remo Williams. Uh, My Qian is going to be played by Byung-hun Lee, who is uh, also one of my favorite actors of all time. He was uh, in I Saw the Devil. Um, He's shown that he can work in American films in things like The Magnificent Seven. Um, My... uh, assassin, I'm going to say. I'll reveal its name, I guess. It doesn't probably matter. I guess his name is Sagwa the Assassin. No one fucking knows Remo Williams Cannon. And that's going to be played by my other uh, favorite person in Hollywood right now, Andrew Koji, who is in my uh, favorite show, uh, currently Warrior. Um, So, this is what I'm going to go with. Also, the rule that I had to go with on this movie was one must include a character made famous by Christian Bale. So, I went with um, – oh, God. One second. I got to change something. Not even change something. I, I got to look something
3: up. He didn't pick one.
2: Uh-huh. He's cheating. Yeah. No, I picked one, but I didn't write down – Batman.
1: Um, His character movie. name?
2: What it's called. Bruce Wayne. The prison movie. Yeah,
1: Bruce Wayne. I mean, I, no, I it's the movie. I'm... <laughs> okay, okay.
2: All right. So the character I went with is Jim Luther Davis. He is from a film that Christian Bale did in 2005 called harsh times. Um, so he is at the beginning of my movie, he's going to be playing um, someone who is uh, part of a drug deal taking place in like this old abandoned building. And this is where I will uh, do my, my pitch. So the film begins with two detectives, detective Sam Macon and detective Johnson staking out a run-down building. They have a conversation about the deal that is supposed to go down and, and radio to fellow officers about waiting to storm it in with backup. It cuts to Jim Luther Davis's character, uh, Christian Bale's character, Jim Luther Davis, um, being the lead of uh, basically a bunch of unknown people, but they are in a, a warehouse um, doing a drug deal. Sam notices uh, something and asks if Johnson saw something moving on the roof. Johnson says he did not, and they need to stick to their plan. A few few moments later, there's gunfire heard from within the building. The detectives radio for backup and rush the building. Cut to um, the assassin played by Andrew Koji just killing everybody in sight um, in in there with ease by himself. Um, And they take cover and look inside. There is one man left, Jim Luther Davis, um, uh, uh, on his knees. Uh, telling, asking the assassin, who is he? And the assassin uh, breaks his neck um, by twisting it, you know, like how movies do, like that. And then. Um, Thanks for so, the demonstration. You're welcome. In case <laughs> so, you wait, can know. you do
0: that again? I completely missed it. Uh, oh, yes. Okay.
2: You twist it to death. That's okay. um, a okay. Sure. And <laughs> so they, they watch him finish him off. Police sirens are heard as they raid the office. As uh, a raid of officers storm the building, and the two detectives give chase. The mysterious man slips out, and the detectives split up. Johnson is stealthily killed by the man they are chasing. Um, Sam spots him fleeing and chases him down.
1: <clears throat> I Jesus. meant to mute, mean, and I didn't mean to. Um, well, well done. <laughs> this
2: is going to be an annoying pitch pitch. Because I just lost my place I meant to hit mute but I was I clicked my screen and just changed what I was clicked on All right, Johnson is stealthy killed by the man they are chasing uh, by the man they are chasing Sam spots him fleeing and chases him down the two fight um, until they are out of bullets they have a fist fight on the balcony of another abandoned warehouse while Sam gets in a couple of shots uh, the man is too skilled uh, a fighter and ends up kicking Sam off the roof to his presumed death before making his escape Cut to one week later, Sam wakes up in what appears to be a hospital bed. There's a man sitting in the room with Sam. Um, uh, once, uh, there's a man sitting in the room with him. The man introduces himself as the head of the organization called cure and explains that Sam just went toe to toe with the deadliest assassin in the world. And no one has ever survived a one-on-one encounter with him. Sam is recruited to join cure under a new name. Uh, his death certificate being faked, he is now known as Remo Williams. The head of Cure is also a man named Cheyenne. Remo trains under the tutelage of Chayun, um, a martial artist and former hitman. This is the main uh, second act of the film. The third act is the organization reaching out to Cheyenne that the assassin's location has uh, been tracked and they need to make a move. Cheyenne argues that Remo is not ready and they will be sending him to his death. Rima persists that he is ready, being motivated by revenge uh, for the death of his former partner. Cheyenne then reveals he cannot step into the fight to help because the assassin they are going uh, to stop was his first pupil and his nephew named Sagwa. So the film ends with uh, Rima Williams um, stealthily going into Sagwa's kind of lair um, and taking out uh, bodyguards and things like that one by one and eventually getting to Sagwa. The two have an epic fight in Sagwa's office and Sagwa actually um, wins and is about to kill Remo Williams, but Cheyenne steps in and says, I'm sorry, my nephew, but I must do this. And he kills uh, uh, Sagwa after another epic fight. So you have two big ass, cool ass fight scenes at the end um, and Cheyenne going in and doing it. You have um, uh, something that can set up a franchise because you have room for growth from the main character of Remo Williams. Um, and I, I think my movie, I did a lot of research into the book. Um, the book Destroyer that Rema Williams was introduced in is being um, made by Shane Black um, in a future adaptation, actually, and I, I put into work into knowing these while Tristan looked up a bad movie. I did some research into things, and I think it's actually a fucking badass character that I'm super excited for. I don't know what the fuck Shane Black has to do with it, but he's basically a dude that I'm he curious. was a former uh, uh, like FBI agent or cop and they fake his death and then he becomes Rima Williams and he learns like a South Korean martial artist or martial art and it's literally a fucking martial arts movie that they turned into some shitty uh, movie with the uh, Empire State Building or with the uh, Statue of Liberty into it just like Tristan did. So my movie is badass. It encapsulates the character of Rima Williams and it sets up uh, an epic movie. Franchise,
0: so that's my movie. All right, well, Trevor Lawrence officially uh Jacksonville
1: Jaguars. Yeah. yeah, who could have seen such, that? A, such a shock! Also, thirty minutes in, and the first pick happens. From yeah, this broadcast. is so, Sounds like what? I should... Yeah, they had to Did show. The, they up? had to show Kings of Leon. They had to. They had to use somebody yeah. and have some fiery. Sex. Literally, the
2: pick that everyone has known for a year for probably three
1: years. Mm-hmm. um they took the half hour to do so congrats
3: did anthony hopkins get picked yet
0: not yet, not
1: yet. they're waiting till they'll the be the draft. the very end of the draft some of the buccaneers
0: are gonna shock yeah. the world by drafting him last um
1: yep <laughs> new quarterback after tom brady yeah but
0: yeah, yeah
1: they're getting um, younger.
0: but back to the task at hand bobby any questions for either of them
1: um not particularly i mean i i kind of i understand where you're both going with your movies johnny did a little more research into apparently the book which i didn't know existed so yeah um i looked up the book after,
0: well it's i think it's a comic book but i looked it up after i like sent this and i'm like oh shit this movie could actually be like amazing so
1: yeah i did not you chose like, it and i looked at the wheel, movie and i looked it up and i'm like
2: oh shit this shit is everything yeah. down my alley it's a fucking <laughs> martial arts movie god damn right and i get to cast a guy from fucking mortal Kombat. you're fucking
1: right baby yep. yeah all right so yeah i mean I, I get both movies i mean we got you know makes sense for what johnny pitched for his and i i interesting sounds fun so
0: yeah, yeah two very yeah. different movies i think so yeah uh, um yeah i don't i don't have a question for either if anything pops up i'll let you go but yeah five minutes on the clock
3: I just tried to make mine as badass and as fun as I possibly could, and that's what it. I went for. You know, you got White Russell, you got Kurt Russell That's a great pairing. I think it's fun to have that twist where... yeah, Imagine, ones, imagine pitching dead. that
2: if you were... Oh. Uh, let's see. Who who had that idea? Let's see. It was me last week, when, or uh, last episode we had a fight, when Joe didn't fucking do that for Lone Ranger, and I said, you know what would be cool? Those two, as father yeah, and Son. Yeah, it would son. be cool. Sorry, quick in interruption. It wouldn't be.
0: Quick interruption, I do have a question. Who is your director, Tristan? Oh, uh, we, I have
3: the director did, who did, did dread. Uh, uh dread Travis. Guy. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I
1: mean, I have a I have a note on that. that He didn't might even negative. fucking direct that, didn't he? Yeah. Was it he, someone else? It was um it was Garland. Garland. Yeah. Outside.
3: That's what yeah, I thought. Was, I looked yeah. it up and I was like, yeah. why is he That's listed so as a director?
2: Silly. This is so weird. Because it he got directing credit because he took over a movie that was done by someone else.
1: Well, no. Is Alex Garland directed it behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, it's the, that's movie, the, that's the story. The
2: that's no, the story. It's,
1: you, it's canon. You went
2: with the guy. It's that canon, no that I went with
3: the director of Dread, which was Alex Garland. You know? <laughs> no, you Either don't. way, I'm going for like a, a Dread tone with this, where it's like, you get these badasses in the lead who are just taking people down. You don't need any like really depth to this. You don't need like a lot of complexity. You're just seeing these cool actors do cool stuff, fight these bad guys who are just On really, like very big bad guys, you know, that have the cure for death and they're holding it to themselves, and they've created the zombie outbreak. And now, Kurt Russell and Remo Williams are the saviors of the universe, and they have to fight together and have this big action finale. I think the fight at the Statue of Liberty is definitely the most iconic part of the original movie. I think it's actually a really cool finale. I think some a lot of the action in that movie is not that bad, but I think especially the uh, fight on the Statue of Liberty is pretty cool. And that's like the big standout thing because the Statue of Liberty was under construction at the time of them filming it. So they had to work with the scaffolding and work with what was what was there in front of them. So it's kind of interesting to watch that final scene at least. But I wanted to pay tribute to that in mind by having there be the Statue of Liberty and going for that kind of bigger tone. And I just think yours doesn't sound as exciting, as interesting, as badass as mine does. It just,
2: just sounds sure, like sure, sure. another okay, another so Kung Fu we, movie. Think, oh, another Kung Fu movie. First of all, yeah. another shitty zombie movie is way worse than any Kung Fu movie. Zombie movies are 90% terrible, and yours just sounds like another Overlord, which was unwatchably terrible. Um, I thought and Overlord
3: was really good. Oh, Overlord was fucking
2: garbage. Ah, and here's my thing here's my thing with Wyatt Russell he's good in Captain America or as the fake Captain America in uh, um, Bird Boy and, and Bucky because. He is a very, he plays unlikable very well. Any movie that he's ever been in, um Two minutes. outside of like a comedy, like 22 Jump Street, where he's been a lead and he's supposed to be like the the likable good guy character that would be what he is as Remo Williams. He fails at it. I think he is destined to be uh villainous. I think Kurt Russell is the most likable person ever. So they kind of shoehorn Wyatt Russell into those roles. But He fails at them every time he's in them. He's the worst part of Overlord. And after that movie, I was like, who the fuck is this scrub? But then he's kind of earned my respect back, like showing me that he could do a good villain. I think he um, is the wrong choice for like a lead of a franchise. I think he would be a great villain in in movies. And I think that's where his career path should uh, go towards because he's obviously better at that. And my other thing is this, my movie, um, if you read what, Rima Williams is. It's very much white savior takes over uh, Korean martial arts and um, basically just all of the like mistakes that Iron Fist kind of made, like the TV show and, and stuff. I'm correcting those mistakes. I'm taking a character that actually has a cool backstory, putting someone that in the white the right role that isn't just a white savior, um, where your movie kind of is. And I'm, I'm correcting the the character in, in right. terms of the. Because it has a white main character yeah exactly and um and it's a white man saving the universe that's a white savior so he's saving the universe <laughs> and he's playing, i guess i don't think savior. that's what white savior and means, but... that is and <laughs> and the other thing is this like he's a martial artist i think that's a cool fucking thing for a lead in a movie like we just saw the uh uh Shang chi looks incredible and i want to see more uh big budget kind of films like that and i'd rather see that than Whatever yours is supposed to be, so
3: mine's going to be a really fun action movie like Overlord. No, that's going for you, that kind You of think tone.
2: that Overlord was garbage?
3: Overlord, and is great. Wyatt Russell, Overlord I had cast him. she's going to play Russell a character a that lead. has grit. I think you oh, mentioned good. Good. he plays he's he's villainous great. roles, not like good guy hero roles, and that's why I cast him. I want him to have this kind of gritty past. He's not like this good. He's good a soldier he's guy. Resurrected
2: he's resurrected from the dead. He's a war. Yeah let's bring in some dude who's never directed a real movie before. And then he's going to resurrect some dude from the dead that like, no one ever knows. About. No, fuck that. I'm going to make a cool martial arts movie. Like it, it's going to come down to this. Do you want to see a cool movie like the raid? Or do you want to see a shitty movie like overlord or even like dread is fine. Like it's fine. It's very overrated. It's just a bad version of the raid. And I think that kind of is what you do. Like, If you want to compare two movies and you look at the raid compared to Jesus Christ, they did it. They drafted that scrub from BYU. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, that was expected. Yeah, it distracted me completely. But yeah, Zach Wilson, he's the next Mitch Trubisky. Congratulations, Jets. You're a terrible franchise. Um, I
1: I actually go against that, but we'll see how it goes. Well, you're wrong. So uh, uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. Going back to it, I'd rather see a movie with really badass fight scenes of people that were stuntmen and have shown that they can do action than um um actors that literally got into hollywood because of nepotism be forced into action movies that is always boring and bad the only good action is uh hand-to-hand combat and i don't need to see uh, wyatt russell like shooting zombies like with 85 year old kurt russell like sure tristan i want
0: to hear your defense of your movie real quick because I think Johnny, mine sounds Falcon.
3: like a ton of, of fun. You have two guys twice. together wow. and I think Johnny is going on about like, oh, right, Russell is like this nepotism fed, like nothing actor or something. And I think he's shown in Falcon the Winter Soldier, he can do action really well. He can play uh, that kind of mixed character really well where you, you want to root for him but he's doing bad stuff and I, you don't want to like, and I think that he's going to be a lot more good in this than he is in Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a character. I mean, he's like the a war vet with this gritty past of doing these operations for the government. So he has this little bit of grit to him And he's playing off of his father, who's going to be a much more gritty character. who has been this kind of gun for hire throughout his life. And now he's Kurt Russell's 70. So he's going to be a 70 year old. Uh, he's retired from his gun for hire kind of life. So he's that more grit character. I think they play off each other really well. I don't know what, I mean, you overlord was a great one. dread was a great one. on going for that kind of uh, stone, that kind of tone, that kind of style with it. If you like those, fun action movies you're not supposed to be you know thinking too hard about the complexity of it you're not supposed to be thinking about the origin stories of the characters i don't give a fuck about remo williams is like comic book panel origin story you know i'm just get, making a fun action movie with the and kurt russell and that's what i'm pitching if you want a fun dread style overlord style movie that's what you got from me so yeah, that's you all i can World really defend of it if season, you want that in, you get it
2: all right in the statue of liberty sure bobby what are your thoughts
1: I'm, I'm leaning uh, one direction. I, I I'm I think I'm ready to go. If, yeah, you have yeah, yeah, we've you gone for a while me. on this
0: one. So yeah, yeah. if
1: you want to. Yeah, uh, so it comes down to me because I, I think both movies do sound fun. If they were coming out, I'd be like, I'd, I'd watch those. Um, neither of them sound like neither of them blow me away. Um, but I think what it comes down to is that I think that Tristan stumbled a little bit with his director choice not really knowing that whole background with dread and then going with Alex Garland switching it. I think that's also just a bad choice based on what Alex Garland has been doing lately to do a movie like this. So um, I think Johnny's movie sounds fun. It sounds like a good action movie. I'm leaning that direction personally. Um, But Tristan's actual pitch for the movie does sound fun. So I'd watch it, but I think Johnny kind of had the whole package.
0: Yeah. I was kind of in the same boat of Tristan sound fun, but I feel like, Tristan sounds like the best possible version of the movie we got granted with zombies thrown in which is what he was stuck with and I thought he incorporated that fine Uh, but I feel like Johnny's is the like kind of best version of the comic source material and I'm not like to be like oh, the comic source material is just I'm going with that because it's the source material I I think the source material is better than the movie we got and then I feel like it's It's a remake show
3: you remake the movie.
0: I mean, no. we've done, we've changed things up. It's we're, a reboot show, remake, reboot, whatever. His is Remo Williams, you know the whatever. We've changed movies to the point that they're unrecognizable. I don't remember
2: any zombies in, in <laughs> mm-hmm. the original
0: one. <laughs> it, yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to penalize him for that. He was stuck with that, and that's a rule that we've had. There's no zombies in any of the any of these movies. I'm not going to like penalize you for putting zombies in because that's the rule you were kind of given. No, but yeah. But yeah, I'm going yeah. No, the, I,
1: I, the zombie movie thing. I mean, obviously, I, I put it there. I think that could have made a fun, bizarre movie. But yeah, you know. it did. You just didn't pick it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I, you just kind of. I think it just stumbled a little bit. I think you just fucked up, like, up, bro. Yeah,
2: <laughs> made a shit movie. That's, that's fine. I mean, it to me. Not me, but you know, I
0: like people. Overlord. I, I think Tris's
2: movie would be good.
0: I just like Johnny's better. I'm astonished
2: that people like Overlord. I thought that movie was unwatchable.
0: And also, it's hard. I was gonna, I was, was gonna say, but I forgot. It's hard for me to believe in your um Wyatt Russell argument of he's like not a good lead when you said last week for mine when I picked him for whatever the hell that movie he was in the Lone Ranger we were like oh I didn't really believe in him but now I feel like he'd make a good lead after seeing Cap so like that whole argument I just people grow
2: Joe people grow I just didn't care I I do I I stand by that though I've I, I do think he's a better Villain than he is a hero. I, I don't want them to just shoehorn him in as like the next big franchise guy because I don't think he works.
3: Let's go with another unwatchable movie and right. make it Jumper from 2008. Right. Let me right. oh go. All right. Oh this is, this is so uh, Bobby's
2: this pick. So. Thanks, Bobby. You fucking asshole.
1: <laughs> I'll make Johnny go first on this one. All
2: right. So Jumper's hey,
1: premises. I like the premise of this movie. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the, premise. the execution.
2: So
0: Jumper from 2008. Alright, I'll I will i will read this at some point, I guess. Jumpers <laughs> Whatever from, you want, Joe. Jumpers from two thousand. <laughs> go ahead, Joe. You can read the premise. I will You
1: can go now, Joe. You
0: know what? Jumper. Anakin Skywalker's in it. He jumps fucking around. It sucks ass. That's the movie. He can fucking teleport. Boom. There you go. Anakin Skywalker can teleport. Yep. There you go. Pitch
2: your movie, Johnny.
1: Um
2: Okay. I realized the mistake I made, but I'm just going to stick with it. I use
1: two rules for this movie.
2: Repeat <laughs> 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 rule be damned. Um,
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> pick pick one, maybe. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, the one I feel the one I picked for him is kind of ingrained into his plot. I imagine so. That's probably oh. the scrap.
1: Yeah, so we had okay, to switch so one Joe, around. And Joe chose the of role of um, <laughs> of. Uh,
2: Use uh, must include a historical event, which affects my plot. And then I fucked up and uh, was going to resurrect someone's career in a different movie, and I changed this one to resurrecting someone's career. So I don't know what exactly I'm doing here. I guess I'm just going with both roles <laughs> I'm going. My director is Matthew Vaughn. Um, he's shown that he can work with historical events, and he's shown that he can make fun movies that are based off some uh, former source material. My lead um, is Millie. uh, That is going to be played by Melanie Laurent, uh, who is in *Inglorious Bastards, and her career dropped off a fucking cliff. So I am resurrecting her career, even though I also have a historical event in this movie. (laughs) She's my lead, and I'm resurrecting her career as the lead. My Roland, who's my bad guy, is going to be played by J.K. Simmons, and my character, uh, Griffin, is going to be played by Stephen Yoon, my favorite. Um, and then Theodore Roosevelt will be uh, Nick Offerman, which I think is great casting. Yeah, well, um, we'll get into why that makes any sense. All right. So, Millie, formerly uh, David, played by Joey Badass uh, about uh, an hour ago. Um, but Millie is a young woman who, after being chased by men uh, she stole from, discovers she has the ability to teleport. She uses this power for his, uh, for <laughs> her benefit, and does petty crimes and feels on top of the world, being able to steal and teleport away from danger. Things change when a man named Griffin visits Millie. He uh, is also what he explains to be a jumper, and this is not uh, a power to be wasted for selfish gain. He also explains there is an organization designed to kill people like them, and the head is a man named uh, the head uh, is a man named Roland. Just then. Roland storms the apartment building with the troops uh, with troops and the two have to escape. And there's real Roland has the ability to jump, but has taken it to the next level after capturing some other jumpers. He can jump back and forth in time. The plot of the movie is Roland plans to uh, go back in time and assassinate Theodore Roosevelt and run for president himself. Uh, knowing the future, he wants the USA to be allies with Germany starting in 1912 to eventually change the outcome of world war II, um, by the u.s being strong allies with germany during uh the the nazi regime and backing them in the war uh and um so david and griffin discover uh how to follow (laughs) millie and griffin discover how to follow roland back in time and stop the assassination attempt of theodore roosevelt in 1912 which is a real event so they go back there you have a lot of the fight scenes like in old school 1912 which like I think it'd be cool for Matthew Vaughn to do a period piece type of uh, set pieces, but also have superpowers like of people jumping around. I think that's a cool use of his directing style. So I want to encompass uh, both of those, um, and uh, it will end with Theodore Roosevelt actually being shot, but surviving just like the actual historical event that happened. Um, so that is
1: uh, my movie where I used two rules. All right, I, just, uh, being I, able to repeatable. I got distracted by the 49ers drafting Trey Lance. Um, so who um was your Wait, resurrecting the career? Yeah. <laughs>
0: no <laughs> way. I told you that was He's, gonna happen in my intro. I, I was I, uh, yeah. said, I said in the intro that they were gonna yep. draft, draft Trey Lance that changed up to yeah. from Mac Jones.
1: Yep. So from that, who did you resurrect again in accident? <laughs>
0: Melanie Laurent okay. from *Inglorious Bastards*, the French okay. yeah, the the French Shoshana,
1: one yeah. She's from Bastards, right. is, Shoshana from *Inglorious Bastards*, she's, John she's great Green. in that movie. After that,
2: yeah. besides like one movie in like 2013, and then hasn't done anything. I'm very sad about it.
1: Right. Yeah. She was
2: originally in my pitch for Revolver She's, and, she's uh, great. And she and she and I always
1: me. mix her up with whoever was in um the now you uh now you see me movies.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, those movies that fucked up and didn't name the sequel. Now you, no, you See
3: that yeah. has to yeah. be a movie for our remakes. I feel like Now yeah. You See Me is prime for a movie change yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm done
3: with it. Yeah, I don't uh, need right. to see Mark
2: Zuckerberg doing magic tricks. Alright, Tristan, what's All right, your Tristan.
0: pitch? So we're not here until like, 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, we're going on about everything now. Uh,
3: for a Jumper, my uh, rule that I had to use was you must resurrect an actor's career for the lead role. And I'll say my director that I picked before I forget was Kathy Yan. She directed Birds of Prey last year, which okay. is pretty good. And she also did uh, Dead Pigs, which is really, really good if you want to watch a great, like, premiere feature film. I'm excited to see what she does next after those two movies. But hopefully it's Jumper. And the person that I resurrected for my lead role, I think we're in an era of nostalgia and an era of people kind of revisiting roles. So my lead is Hayden Christensen as David. He played David in the original movie. So I'm resurrecting his career, which has obviously been downhill since the Star Wars uh, prequels. But I think he's primed for a bit of a, revival. He's got the Obi-Wan stuff coming out. He'll be back in the public eye. So I want to see him give it get another shot at this. But like you said, I think the premise is really good, so I'd like to see the actor get a shot to do that well. The romantic interest of the movie is Kristen Ritter. You know her from Breaking Bad and Jessica Jones. Uh, I have two agents who are investigating him, played by Chris Rock and Lance Reddick. And I have a sort of terrorist character that's like a big bad guy in the background, played by Christian Slater. I also have a small part Uh, for his mom played by Kim Basinger so I have David he's kind of a loner he's been uh, working this kind of terrible job at a grocery store with his kind of abusive boss he's always yelling at him always complaining always making him work late and that kind of stuff he's very unconfident person his life isn't really going anywhere but he doesn't have the confidence to change it or to introduce himself to people or things like that and he has a girl in his that works there with him played by Jessica Jones he's like his crush he wants to ask her Hour, hang out with him more, and he just can't really get the confidence to do it. And he develops the power to jump almost instantly to any place he can think of. When he meets uh, an ancient jumper, who informs him of like this past lineage along his family line of of jumpers, and he's decided that he's going to use this newfound jumping party or er, power to change his life. He begins to sort of rob banks to pay off his student loans and his debts. He eventually gets a little more ambitious, you know, maybe he's stealing a TV from like a Best Buy, maybe he's helping someone who is out, like with, I wrote here like small local cat and tree level problems, like he's just doing these small little things, help people out around the town, and just building up his confidence, building up his abilities, and meanwhile, because he's had this new confidence, he's a lot more assertive in his life, he's a lot more uh, confident, not just in his powers, but in his life. So he decides to ask out Jessica Jones's character, I mean, not Jessica Jones, Kristen Ritter's character. <laughs> and uh, they go out to this lavish dinner. He's treating her to like everything she wants. You know, he has all this money that he just came to and he's really kind of showing it and she's impressed and she's kind of questioning him a bit like, oh, where'd you get the money? And not not like blaming him, but just curious. And he's coming up with these stories and not really giving her the answer. Uh, it's going well, though. He's having a good night and then news breaks at this restaurant that, There's been a hostage crisis happening in New York City, halfway across the country. And this group, uh, I mentioned Christian Slater, is kind of the leader of these bad guys. And he's taken over these these people and holding them hostage in New York. So David says, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Can I take a bathroom break really quick before they get dessert? So he runs to the bathroom and jumps from there to New York. And he has this sort of little small action scene where he's jumping around. He's saving these hostages and kind of moving around these terrorists who are holding them and I think it'd be fun to see how they could pull that action off because he's not fighting you know I I went with a bit of an older actor for it and I think that works because he's not fighting he's just kind of jumping and grabbing people moving things and I wanted to sort of figure fun ways to use that power and I think that my director uh, Kathy Yan showed in Birds of Prey she can have really stylish cool action so I think she would be able to pull that off. So anyway, he saves these hostages and then jumps back to his dinner date and everything seems to be going all good. You know, she's just like, oh, long wrath and break and didn't really think of where he went. And But, of course, that big of a show of power puts him on the radar of a lot of people. So the NSA is now on his tail. I've mentioned Chris Rock and Lance Reddick are these kind of duo investigators coming after him. That's a throwback to the book that Jump was inspired by. It was very, very focused on the NSA hunting down David and David's, like, fight against not just like bad guys and terrorists, but against the government. who's kind of trying to oppress them and overstep their bounds. So I wanted to get that kind of government overstep theme in here from the original book that got super cut out from the movie, one of the big problems of the movie. So now he has not just NSA on him, but he also has this group that he attacked. These terrorist groups says, oh, this guy came in and he teleported around and he, he took everybody out. So they're trying to find this guy. So we get in from that, he's you have this journey of him experimenting with his powers, having fun, and now, of course, it's turning against him, and everything is sort of falling apart, and he's using his powers to try and fight against these terrorists to escape from these NSA guys, and they all kind of close in on his apartment, his home where his mom lives, and he's been recently reconnecting with his mom now that he has new confidence as well, so his mom's a bit back into his life like she wasn't before. And the terrorists have attacked David there, and they have this kind of big uh, final... This big fight right there and then a bomb goes off and david it uh he was kind of distracted by the whole confrontation so he wasn't able to grab anybody to jump with them so he just jumps himself and looks up and realizes oh my god my apartment blew up my mom died and did lance reddick's character harry the cop partner so now the only two remaining characters are david and chris rocks and chris rock has this like final kind of chase where he's chasing down David, and David's chasing down the terrorist. and you have this final chase. They're all chasing each other, chasing each other, and David is set to kill this terrorist. He killed his, his mom. He killed a cop right in front of him, and he's going to kill this terrorist, but he, gets to the, he captures him, and he kind of has this moment, this change of heart, where he realizes, like, I have to give you up to the law. Even if the law won't help me, I want them to be able to hold you accountable, because if I kill you, then I'm not much better than you are. So he surrenders the terrorist to Chris Rock, and Chris Rock says, oh, weird thing that I just found this guy out here passed out with nobody around, isn't it? Essentially saying, like, you can leave this one time, but if I see you again, of course, I'm still going to arrest you. And then it would set up, like, this Commissioner Gordon-Batman kind of relationship with them in future movies. So I wanted to set up a sequel there with that, where Hayden Christensen is sort of this vigilante, and Chris Rock is the guy working along with them. And we've seen Hayden Christensen's character grow from this very unconfident person to very assertive very confident and he gets he gets a girl at the end he's got a better he's uh more respected at his job because he stood up to his boss and those kinds of things so you see that journey of his character and that's my pitch for jumper all
1: right bobby all right joe do you well i'm gonna because i'm making the final call do you have any questions on it because i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty heavily leaning one way right now yeah so am i any any questions to, to add to this?
0: Not really. No. All
1: right. Anything Kristen, I can say? Yes. Uh, <laughs> to, okay. At least to start, um, defend Hayden Christensen coming back for a reboot of Jumper.
3: I have said. It, I said it at the front. And I think nostalgia is like a big thing now, and everyone's like revisiting
1: the rules and coming back to All me. All that
0: nostalgia
2: towards fucking Jumper. Yeah,
0: that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like
1: I don't think anyone. Don't has use jumper. nostalgia as yeah. your
2: argument when it's not
1: different argument. I guess.
3: Well, I'm, okay, then I'll say, like, Hayden Christensen, I think, is is prime for a comeback. I think I would love to see him back in these bigger roles, and I think that this is a role that it would be fun to see him revisit. We've talked about how the premise is really good, and it's based off of a book that's also got really good reviews. I tried to lean into the book a bit more, and I I was inspired by his return to Anakin because I think they're giving him a second chance to do that character well and to sort of set his legacy in that character a little better, so I'd like to see him in my mind, he would be like the first jumper in this one. Then in the sequel, maybe he's like an advisor jumper to the next generation of people or whatever. And then he kind of retires from it. But like, I would like this to be like his movie where he comes in and he's finally able to do this. Because the books are popular. And it would be fun to see him do this role that he's kind of hated for and get a chance to do it right again, which would be something fun that I would like.
1: Um, okay. um, can I just
2: make a quick argument? I feel like you yeah. guys already
1: know your outcome. but Most likely. I'll but say it's- this so wait joe do we, do we want to put a like some type of qualification on the timer for this one or
3: i, I mean you guys already have your mind up, i, I
1: want to hear johnny's I have point one and thing to i want to hear you guys
3: arguments i have a, yeah i, I have a couple, know where we're
2: going i have a couple points here one hayden christensen i think people blame his uh, uh failed career on uh, star wars and yes that's one big reason because he's awful in those but he did an awful movie called awake. He did, he was terrible in takers. He was awful in the first jumper and the first jumper had Sam Jackson, Michael Rooker, Kristen Stewart, and Jamie Bell, who all went on to fantastic careers, showing that they can act well. And that that movie failed because of his acting. It was directed by Doug Lyman who went on to do edge of tomorrow and American made, which are two fantastic, uh, fun movies. Um, that movie failed because of Hayden Christensen. So bringing him back, um, is, is, the, uh, is a big mistake because he has shown in his career that he just is not capable of leading movies. I I've resurrected his career before, but it was like bullseye and daredevil when he has a, a smaller role and he plays a, a character that doesn't lead it. Uh, I think that's more something that if he wanted to bring back his career, it would work, but he's just shown in his career. He does not work as a leading man. And, um, My thing with it too is like Bobby and Joe and Tristan admitted going into this was jumper had a great premise and why did that movie fail? Because you had a really stale lead character that basically made that movie bomb. So if a movie with a really great supporting cast, a good director and a great premise failed, I think it's easy to say that Christian or Hayden Christensen was the problem Tristan just fell into the same trap that he did when he made Superman Returns and brought back two actors that made that movie not work. Um, and, and I think my movie has a better cast, a uh, better director, more interesting storyline, and uses jumping, jumping uh, in time to, to make it jumping work. Jumping
3: in time um, is not part of the premise.
2: Yeah, but mine, I mean, I'd say that my movie, like, making... And also, if they can travel makes, through time, why
3: aren't they cool? saving everyone? You know, why don't they just go back and save everyone? They literally do. They go right. save Theodore Roosevelt. But why can't they? Why can't they just save everyone? They you know, save they?
2: the U.S. from becoming allies with Nazi Germany. They go back in time to prevent that from happening. So, yeah, that's the whole point.
3: I mean look you guys clearly know where you're going with this. I want to I mean I think that Hayden Christensen would be a good fun choice for this. I don't agree Something with you guys. no one's ever said in his about career. his career. I think good, you guys are a little too choice. harsh on him. I think Have you uh, ever seen
2: Takers? Have you ever seen Jumper? Have you ever seen I've seen Jumper.
3: jumper. I've, I've seen Shattered Glass. Awful. I've seen awful. He won in a Golden Globe Have You
1: seen Vice bumps did I you he won a Golden Globe? He
3: won a, a Golden Globe for for uh, no, Broken Glass.
2: Yeah, or for Shadow Glass, Glass, which was Shattered a Glass. movie that was surrounded by better actors.
1: Yeah, but actually on a real note, have you seen the Goosebumps episode that he's in?
3: I
2: have seen that classic. It's,
1: it's so bad. He's so he's, bad.
2: <laughs> he's just not a good lead. Like, I think there's a role in Hollywood for him. I'm excited that yeah. he's back as Darth Vader, but he's not. not a lead man. He's not. Yeah. What killed his career was not even his acting ability. It was being cast as Anakin, being shoehorned into lead
1: roles that he just can't do. Right. Joe, do you have anything to add? Yeah, like, I
0: mean, with the whole director, I was not a fan of Birds of Prey at all. I didn't like it at all. So like that director choice didn't help me. You know, it wasn't like all this amazing director that's known for... You know, pulling out these great performances—at least as far as I'm, I'm aware of—where it's like, okay, maybe they could get something out of Hayden. Like, it's just the director. I'm not a fan of, so I just don't. It all just compounded into a movie that I was like, not, not hyped about. Yeah, a lot and of
1: honestly, bad calls I, today. I, I had a lot fun of with right birds. Calls. Of, <laughs> I, I had fun with Birds of Prey, but I thought it was directed poorly. Um, yeah, and that's literally in the worst part like, of the movie. <laughs> right. So I mean, that, that didn't great. help. Um, and honestly, just the Hayden Christensen thing yeah. is just kind of hard to get over. If you had.
3: If I changed the actor and the director, would it have been any better?
1: Yes. Yeah, like the plot line and yeah, storyline yeah. and all I, that stuff fine. The I like
0: this plot and story. It, was just
1: yep. great. it would have been
2: harder to fight.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I the, the plot that you put together works completely. It would have been a fight. Especially because I had to delete
2: fun. half of my pitch going into this because. I hate this rule. My lead was. Um, but the rule it, i mean it was him kinda... going back into 1912 and then an asian character and a black character having to deal with um all the hate in the 1900s while also trying to save the world like i literally deleted 90 of my pitch um so i think you would want if you went with a smarter choice on director and didn't waste yeah
1: honestly i think it's just you need to stray away from bringing back actors from previous movies when you don't have to yeah um yeah is is really the because especially with i mean like look i i think hayden christensen can like johnny said has a role in hollywood and i'm rooting for him i hope he's great in um obi-wan um with his role but i i i don't think he's a leading man i think he's shown he lacks the charisma um, yeah. and that kind of played out already in his career.
3: I will say uh, that I did a similar mistake to Johnny where I, I had to change it at the last second to be a lead, and I originally had him as a much, much smaller role. And that I was, a, would have been way that better. That
1: would rule, have I, been I, way now, well, better. I,
2: was, uh, I, was about yeah, I didn't hear. realize that you guys had uh, as a lead, so I just had it as – Oh, well, I saw Resurrect an actor's career. So I was like, that's yeah. what we always do. So if that messed and both then, of you then, up, it, it messed you know. Tristan
1: up on this one completely for me, then.
2: Yeah. I was going to. I say, won both of my pitches. I had to change from that, though. So I was Stop. about to say to
0: Tristan, if you had brought him back in like the Jamie Bell role, I would have been a lot yes. more interested. And I thought it would have been a lot more intriguing. So Same.
1: i would say that. Right. So your.
0: Yeah.
1: So your original you, idea. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe.
0: Yeah, even if you had brought him back in like the Jamie Bell role, I think it still would have been a fight. It was just like as the lead, I didn't, I didn't know about. But...
1: Yeah, so, so that's more against like both of you had the rule choice kind of mixed up, yeah. um, because I like your original yeah. idea. Then it would have been come sound down like to our fault, right? <laughs> it, it would have come down to basically the director choice, and I think that that kind of put you behind because. As much All fun right. as I had with that movie, so you know it wasn't the greatest. Yeah, we need to move on. We got yeah, yeah. to move on to the I next one. Let's so Johnny with, wins. Yeah, yeah John, Johnny,
0: Johnny wins, but Tristan is now trying to keep the repeater rule from happening again. We've got two left, right? Yeah, man the Universe and man from uncle. Yeah, yeah. Let's do man from uncle,
3: and I'll have Johnny go first.
0: All right, to speed this along, it's a movie from 2015 starring Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. Please don't bring Army Hammer in your movie or you'll probably lose. I'm resurrecting his career as the lead. (laughs) It's a Cold War spy movie based on a TV show. There you go. It was fine. I liked it, but uh, no one else did, so they didn't make any more.
1: I I liked it a lot, too. We've been
2: going quickly, uh, or we need to go quicker, so I'm going to try to shorten mine because it's a little long, so I'm going to shorten it. All right, so I used the rule as uh, we have decided was us resurrecting actor's career as the lead role. Uh, my director is Christopher Nolan. Um, my Napoleon solo is Timothy Dalton. I'm resurrecting Timothy Dalton's career, um, who was super underrated as James Bond in his day. My Ilya is going to be played by Dania uh, Kovlovsky, who was in, in Vikings. He was in Vampire Academy. He was in Hardcore Henry. He's known as the Russian Brad Pitt. He's huge in that country. Mom, my, my villain is played by uh, Sil- uh, Killian Murphy and his henchman is played by Tom Hardy. And the head of uncle is played by Kenneth Branagh. I wanted to use people that Christopher Nolan likes and seems yep. to uh, use a lot of the same people. So this is my summary of the movie. And then I'll, I kind of have a summary and a pitch and I don't know what makes more sense. So I'll read my summary. Um, the villainous organization known as thrush steals a device that is the key to reading minds that they believe to be able to upgrade uh, to be able to take control of people's minds. Um, having originally dealt with the device before and procuring it years ago, Napoleon Solo, played by Timothy Dalton, is called out of retirement to team up with the new super spy of Uncle Ilya, played by Dania uh, Kowalski, uh to track down and recapture the device before it is used to take power over the top nation's political parties. Um, And my pitch is the film opens with a high security facility being broken into by a group of masked men. You get a great little heist scene from uh, Christopher Nolan that he's good at, that he's shown in like The Dark Knight uh, and Tenet. Um, And the men uh, take out guards one by one in secret until they reach the vault. When they are breaking into the vault, a guard sees them and pulls an alarm. The masked men rush to grab the device that is in the vault and escape with a swarm of soldiers and guards chasing them down and firing at them. Two of the men split off uh, with the device and a mask. The two men are played by Kelly Murphy and Tom Hardy holding the device. Murphy's character claims that this is the key to thrush finally rising to power. The two agents must track down and stop thrush and take back the device. In the end, Napoleon solo sacrifices himself to blow up the device and take out the leaders of thrush because he realizes that Ilya is the new, um, leader of, uh, uncle and, uh, he must do his, uh, what uh, was asked of him when he originally signed up and to give his life to save the world. So that's my movie. I think Christopher Nolan after seeing Tenet, which I was super disappointed by overall, but I think he had some great aspects would make an amazing spy thriller. And I think the next step for Christopher Nolan's career after showing that he fails at making I think he's gotten worse and worse and worse at making his own original movies over the years. I think he needs to get back on track by making something that's based on a, a uh, um, uh, uh, property that already exists. So I want him to take some elements from the man from uncle that uh, so he has some uh, pre-existing history on and can kind of put his own twist on there's episodes, of man of uh man from uncle that are very sci-fi, including the, uh, mind control device, and I wanted to take that element, and I think that works well with uh, the strength of um, uh, Christopher Nolan. So that's my movie. All
0: right, all right, cool. Uh, Tristan, what's your what's your pitch to get back on track?
3: Yep. For my on board. board. Yep. The the rule I had to use was the 1990s movie, so I cast mine as a 1990s movie, and I have mine coming out in 1993. I think that year Terrible is going to be, year. uh
0: Nothing good came out of 1993.
2: <laughs> Some Joe good people were born in <laughs> yeah. that year. Yeah. Some of us. Maybe Tristan, too. I don't know.
3: And I used a, a director that we've I'll heard on the know. podcast before, a, a Johnny favorite here, Martin Campbell. I picked him. Hey, great, that's, a
1: bo- great, that's a that's a Bobby favorite.
3: Bobby favorite, too, you know? How dare you.
2: Too bad I've you know ranked what I can all the James Bond movies. No. <laughs> Right, I really
3: like it. his James Bond movies. I think he's done the best ones. I've been tr- making my way through the franchise, just kind of random order. So I've been watching this stuff that random ones that look good, and I've seen a lot of a lot of his, and they're the best ones, for sure so far. And I'll go through my cast and just my basic premise, and that's pretty much it. Uh, my I have the, the premise is that it's this joint operation between the the, man, the uncle, which is like this British organization and like an American organization. So we have this like crossover of these Ameri- these British and American spies from the 1990s. Uh, my cast is Tom Cruise as a sort of laced up good guy spy. It's a little bit before he was in Mission Impossible. So it would be kind of a new role for him to be playing the spy role. I think it would be fun to get a bit ahead of Mission Impossible and give him the spy role before that. And he's working uh, alongside of Michael Kane older than him but he's like this experienced british spy he's come to america to help them with this plot uh the lead of the british agency that is working with them is sean connery he's going to be sort of this background player but has a lot of good scenes where he's kind of giving michael kane his orders and the leader of the american side is uh harrison ford he's obviously a lot younger at this point than he, we know of him now but he, i think he's still a little bit older than Tom Cruise's and stuff like that. So he would be like the advisor to Tom Cruise, giving him his advice. And the main bad guy, uh, he was sort of playing this attack. He attacked Paul Lint at the beginning of the movie. That's why the British are involved and now he's playing an attack on uh, America. So now America's getting involved in that bad guy, is Steven Seagal. So I basically had this really fun 90s cast going on this spy thriller adventure. I didn't make it too complicated or serious. I gave them names that I thought was fun. I thought Sean Connery's name is... Irvine Treble, and Steven Seagal's name is Xander Krause. Those sound like good, you know, like spy guy names, you know? (laughs) So you just have a plot where he's Steven Seagal is this sort of muscly bad guy. He's doing these small-scale attacks, and now he's playing this big one, and these spies have to plan together and work together to take this guy down at the last second, and you have that 90s spy action thriller. I I don't want to go too deeply into the plot because I think you can get the general idea of what it's going to be. So that's just my pitch. You get a good cast of 90s actors, and they're on this action-adventure taking down Steven Seagal. All right.
0: And who's, who is your director again?
3: Uh, Martin Campbell.
0: Oh, right, right. Yeah, we done. Yeah, that. yeah. And then, uh, Johnny, who is your director?
1: Um, Christopher Nolan. Nolan. Yeah. No, oh, no. yeah,
0: duh, duh. All
1: right. <laughs> Heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Joe right. was, was watching the draft.
0: <laughs> I'm I was listening to your pitches. So those too. were, like, the two parts I blanked on. I I know both of your movies. Uh, Bobby, any questions?
1: Uh, Not particularly, no. I I just kind of want to hear him fight.
0: All right. Yeah, I'm leaning a particular direction, but I'm at a point where I can easily be swayed. So Uh, I'll put five minutes on the clock, and then I'll pick a winner after that.
2: I'll start real quick. First of all, um, Steven Seagal, most famous for being a Fox News enthusiast Mm -hmm. um, and bad person. Sean Connery. 1993. uh, Sean yeah. Connery famous for um saying even before nineteen ninety three that it's okay to hit a woman if uh, she asks for it. Um those are some problems mm. with your cast. Um, All right. no one cared it, about that going, in nineteen ninety three. I'll say, I'll say that. Um, no.
1: Just to yeah, say I guess that. Brooklyn when it when like, it when it happened, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, that when it happened before that. Um uh anyway, I I think um just going and looking at these movies, um Tristan sounds like a failed '90s action movie, and yeah, Tom Cruise is in it. But he, I would say that he was probably at the lowest point of his career at that time, um, and he, and uh, you know he was big in the '80s. He kind of had a lull in the '90s, and then he uh, peaked like when he started doing the Mission Impossible movies later in his career. So I don't I think necessarily right. see that being a being a big uh, big lead in this. And then um, the other thing uh, is. I mean, I I just think like Christopher Nolan can make some really good movies. And I think he showed a lot of promise in um, Tenet. And I think I kind of perfected what he failed at in that movie, because I think you need to strip him away of being able to be like, oh yeah, he's one of those guys that can just do whatever he wants. And I think Christopher Nolan's one of the best directors in Hollywood. But my next choice for him as a director would be going to a project that previously exists and i think the man from uncle is a great choice for that um even in the 90s sean connery was at a point where he didn't care about any of the movies he was making um so again you just get him basically being like the uh bruce willis nowadays of being like i don't really care what i'm doing i'm just going to show up and make my paycheck uh he kind of stopped caring after I'd say the eighties, maybe some early nineties stuff. But at the most point, like for most of the movies, if you look at his filmography, it's just like, I'll show up. I'll give him a paycheck, whatever. Steven Seagal's never been interesting in a movie um, ever. I know people hold under siege to some acclaim, but Steven Seagal was just some fat dude that kind of hip tossed people. Um, <laughs> good choice. Lions, the Penny Sewell. That's exactly who I fucking wanted them to take. Hell yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, Christopher Nolan. I, I have more interesting cast. I have a more interesting director. I have a more interesting plot, and I think it's something that has to do with the original that would be. Thank awkward. you, Lions.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. I um,
3: have a really good spy thriller. I have a great '90s spy cast. I think you can correct it. Oh. Oh. in the '90s. I mean,
2: Two
3: it minutes. was the era of like early, like peak Bond stuff was in the '90s, really, well, like, like the it. Avengers, you know. Bond was at his height in the 90s. You can't start No, playing. he wasn't.
2: He made, they made GoldenEye in the 90s, which was yes. good. But then they made Tomorrow, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which was a step down. And then The World is Not Enough, which almost killed the franchise. And then Die Another Day in the early 2000s killed the franchise. So spy movies were at their uh, low point until I would say Mission Impossible kind of resurrected that. And then the second one almost killed it. And then it took... Mission Impossible 3 and Casino Royale to really resurrect that. And guess what you but have in here? Nowadays, you have the director
3: of Casino Royale and you have the lead of Mission Impossible. As yeah, as Casino Royale didn't, didn't exist. I'm essentially setting Mission up. Mission
2: Impossible didn't exist yet. So yeah, exactly. Who cares, things.
3: man? These actors, we, we've seen that they can do it, though. We've seen that these actors can do it. now. This, but not at that time. He, GoldenEye was like two years after this. Martin Campbell can direct spy thrillers at 1993. Yeah, but yeah. he hadn't
2: even done GoldenEye yet. Like, you put this in 93... I think if you put your movie in 96, 97, even like 99, it makes more sense because your guys are more established at making those movies. But I, I, think I want this to be the movie that puts that them like... on
3: the map for that. Like I want this to be the one, like you mentioned, oh, Mission, the first Mission Impossible kind of like revive the spy genre. I want this to like retroactively be the one that revives the spy genre. You have all the pieces there. You have the great cast. You have the great director. And I think this is a spy movie that could have taken off the spy genre a few years earlier and maybe given us a couple more great great ones out of it.
2: I I think if you look at, I think if you look at the careers, I think this, I think I would go, I would make this argument that I don't think it's something that has ever been made when making like a movie in the past, but I think it holds water and maybe the judges uh, disagree with me, but I would argue that if Martin Campbell makes the man from uncle and let's say it's a big hit, there's not a chance in the world that he makes golden eye because if you look at his career, he jumps around so much that he doesn't really make a lot of sequels. He doesn't, you know, outside of Zorro, he's a guy that makes different movies. I think if he had a smash success in 93 with the man from U.N.C.L.E., there's no chance in hell he actually makes GoldenEye, which I think retroactively, you've harmed the Bond movies. Um, you've, you've also harmed Tom Cruise because maybe he doesn't take uh, Mission Impossible because that's another guy that doesn't, until like at yeah, I don't, that point, I
0: see where you're going with was, this, but it doesn't affect, it. affect what I care. About. It
2: doesn't affect you, but I think it's a, I think it's a valid yeah, argument. I think yeah, if you, I, well, free, you change time. those guys
0: out,
3: what we should do so is have eight. the jumpers go back in time and then just make sure well, that Martin we're Campbell. We're limited on night. time.
0: What I want to yeah, do
3: otherwise will this,
0: cut off the stream and say, "Well, who gives a fuck?" But it's nine fifteen. Make a decision. All right, Bobby. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh honestly I think based on casting choice alone I think I'm still I'm leaning Johnny based on the score that's very unfortunate but um, <laughs> what, I, what, what
3: um, a, I thought my cast was good Steven Seagal Steven, bring Seagal, Seagal,
1: Seagal. Steven Seagal is bringing your choice Sean down when he and didn't give a shit about movies Mar- so, okay so here's the thing I love Martin Campbell in the 90s he was make like he made like the Zorro movies and I think those would be fun like that the problem the is actor. The problem he is, I think, he made, before I, I think you made a very forgettable movie nowadays. Like it wouldn't hold up, and I think Johnny made a movie that would be a lot more interesting to me, and might be something that Nolan could could nail because um, I'd like to see him do a more straightforward movie instead of introducing some of his more time and kind of in, weird elements that he does that might mess up a movie like Tenet. Um, so that's where I am at. I think that Johnny's movie just stands out a lot more personally.
3: When you guys say cast is a 1990s movie, you really mean just make it a 2000s movie, but use no, but not really. No, it's it, more it, it but means
2: actually like, dissect the uh, director's career and don't make it the first real movie that he directed. If you right. had said he just made Golden Eye, I'm going to argue that because he made a successful spy movie two years later in '97, he makes this movie, it would be a harder argument. But in '93, he was a TV director at that point. Like, yeah, it, he's, he's adapting a, a TV show to the big screen. Yeah, which is not what a TV director with a does. with
1: a star that nowadays the problem is okay, Tristan. I, I think here's where you're falling into the trap. I think that Steven Seagal, none of his movies hold up as good movies. But and he's a '90s he, actor, and I'm he does a 90s and movie. He, he so doesn't. He but even like even in the '90s, he, he had a very particular t- uh, audience that liked his movies. And I think you're pigeonholing yourself when you pitch a movie with Steven Seagal in it, no matter what he does in the 90s. All right. Let's
3: move on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's move on to the last one. I
0: want to Masters six, of the maybe. Universe. I'll, I'll go first on this one. All right. Masters of it. the Universe. It's He-Man. And that's the Skeletor. And Dolph Lundgren. That's it. That movie sucks, man. <laughs> let's Make shit. it better.
3: Make it fucking I'll, I'll do my best, but I had to use Grammy Award winners, so it wasn't very easy to do.
0: <laughs> Bobby, you an asshole. What are you doing?
1: Fuck you, Bobby. I thought this I would be fun.
0: Uh, can we retroactively I, I a, just give this loss to for Bobby Justin and to not? me? Like hey. no. Yeah, I don't blame
1: Tristan for a
0: lot of this because it's Bobby's fault. Yeah. Like it's a not
1: lot the of it... rule choice to make Steven Seagal to put Steven Seagal in that movie.
2: You put it in the nineties, and obviously <laughs> Tristan only thinks he's a good nineties person. So right, and, your fault. and
1: also it's not my 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 you know choice to bring back Hayden Christensen to resurrect Jumper. You know yeah, the lead. That so look, it's you not know. my
3: fault that you guys have bad taste. You know, I I pitch. Hey, that's how I feel from... every
0: time I pitch a dad movie, and you guys look like fuck dad movies. That's my feeling every time. We're yeah. not dads yet, Joe. <laughs> All right. Look,
3: I'm just gonna go through my cast. Really, I think that's the fun part of this. Is yeah, you go is the fun people you cast in these roles. And I had to use Grammy Award winners, so I was wow. very limited in what I could do. Uh, my He-Man, I cast Bradley Cooper. He won for Star Is yeah. Born. Yeah. Uh, my King Grayskull, I cast Ben Kingsley. I don't remember what he won for. I didn't write the win things down, but <laughs> he won for something. <laughs> uh, my Skeletor, I've got Joaquin Phoenix. I think he'd play really fun. Like villain we, we just talked about been, that earlier Eddie kingsley
2: would have been a better skeletor
3: uh i have a the evil character that works alongside skeletor played by lady gaga and i have <laughs> a good character that works alongside bradley cooper played by harry styles and i filled out the cast of a couple of people that i would just be have playing like cool he-man characters so my premise is that essentially adam he-man he's been kind of disgraced from the throne and he has to go around the kingdom like to each of the individual parts of the kingdom and kind of he gets like a hero from each kingdom to, to retake uh, Castle Grayskull back from Skeletor so I have people like Don Cheadle, Justin Timberlake, uh, Donald Glover I have them written down here as, as people who I think would fill in really good roles in this universe so they're building up this team that he's going to go take down Grayskull with so my premise basically like I said Adam aka He-Man he must travel Eternia gathering forces of good to reclaim his title as the Prince of Eternia, aka Master of the Universe, after Skeletor stages an unprecedented attack on the Peaceful Kingdom and takes King Grace Grayskull captive in his own castle. So now we follow Adam's journey across the country as he's building up this sort of league of heroes who are then going to take the castle and rescue the king. And have, they have that sort of ticking clock adventure to it where you, the king's um, his life's threatened. You know, obviously Skeletor is not being nice to him. He's not Take, treat, treating him well, and he's he's being mean. He's being a little mean, you know. <laughs> I I love my cast. I think Joaquin Phoenix would play a great like crazy uh, Skeletor. We talked about Joaquin as a villain role earlier in the episode. I think he'd yeah, play a fun one? Skeletor uh, role. And that's my pitch. I I think Lady Gaga it would be a fun to see her and Bradley Cooper in a movie together again, but on opposing sides. You know, I think they had really good chemistry in Wars Born*, so it would be fun to see them. On opposing sides and only coming together towards the end. So that would be a fun subversion for that. And I think I use my cast pretty well. It's tough when you got to use Grammy Award winners, but that's my pitch for Masters of the Universe. Oh, my director is Simon McCoy, who just did Mortal Kombat, which was awesome. And I think he could bring that kind of ridiculous Ooh. fun action to this.
2: I love Mortal Kombat. Okay. I have some things to say on that. All right. My Masters of the Universe, I'm just going to read my pitch. The film opens with a group of kids playing on a playground. They see in the distance a group of people moving towards them. They stop and stare, and when the people get closer, they seem to be acting strange. They look like zombies, one of the kids shouts. As he does, uh, the zombies start to charge. The kids run away into the woods and try to head back to the house. When they seem to be cornered, lightning hits the ground. In between them. And I lost my spot. And the zombies. A man stands there with long, wild, blonde hair crouched on the ground. The man stands up and brandishes his sword. The zombies charge and the man strikes them all down in a bloody rampage. The man turns to the group of kids and says, They call me He-Man, master of the universe, and I'm here to protect you. My He-Man is played by none other... Nicholas Cage. He Man travels to Earth to protect a group of children from a zombie army sent by Skeletory, Skeletory, Skeletor to kill Adam, the 13-year-old boy who will eventually find a magic sword and become the hero known as He Man. And here's my director is David Gordon Green, who did Halloween, and he did a great little movie with Nicholas Cage called Joe. My He Man is obviously Nicholas Cage. My Adam is played by Brady Noon, who was in Good Boys, and now he is the star of The Mighty Ducks show. Uh, my Frankie is played by Sonny Siljic, uh, who is in mid-90s. Um, Nikki, uh, the girl character, is played by Maya Cech, who is in uh, Story or Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And my Connor is played by Griffin McIntyre from Return of the Mac. So my movie is Nicolas Cage as He-Man murdering the shit out of zombies for two hours protecting a bunch of kids that are swearing and being funny and being worried about their future but they think that they're safe because they have Nicolas Cage's He-Man on their side slaughtering zombies with his fucking broadsword and I'm so excited for my movie I don't care if I win but I would watch my movie in a fucking heartbeat it'd be on shutter it would be incredible. If anyone's seen Wally's Wonderland, it's amazing. Nicholas Cage doesn't speak a fucking word of dialogue and just fights animatronic puppets. It's mind-blowingly amazing. Um, and that's what my movie would be, except Nicolas Cage would talk. But he would be um, Nicolas Cage going all in, all in as He-Man. And you have a bunch of funny kids. And um, the end of the movie would be... Um, uh, He-Man sacrificing himself to teleport the zombies away but leaving his sword for his younger self uh, who will eventually become He-Man, master of the universe. So that is my movie. Good fucking luck. Okay. Alright,
0: I, I, I know Bobby's making the ultimate call here. I will just say, after Tristan gave his pitch, I'm like, I think we may have our first six to 6-1 victory maybe ever, at least in a long time. And then Johnny gave and his now pitch, you know. and, then, <laughs> and then Johnny no, then gave Johnny his, his pitch, nice pitch. You know and now I'm like, you. oh, it it, it, yeah. it could be a battle
2: here. So you guys honest- haven't fucking seen Nicholas Cage work in the last like six years.
1: No, honestly, I I have, but it you yeah, you made you you've made basically a movie. historically okay. bad movie that might be fun.
2: You no, made the Grave okay. error of making him
3: He-Man in that Skeletor.
1: This is this is what
2: I did. He-Man sucks.
1: I agree with Tristan. Anyone who
2: likes He-Man is dumb. Um, He-Man is stupid. He is a badly designed character. All of the characters in the show are awful. It's a show that, like, if you were to say, we're going to make this big-budget He-Man movie, it would bomb immediately. He-Man's a very dumb character, but I think the only way to make him interesting to me would to make what Nick Cage is doing now is something that I don't know if we've ever seen anyone in Hollywood do. He is doing very, very interesting, fun films, whether it's Mandy, whether it's the movie where the parents uh, become murderers and try to kill their kids, whether it's Wally's Wonderland. Nick Cage is doing things right now in Hollywood that no one's ever done before that are amazing. And I want He-Man to be closer to that. Anything closer than the shitty, awful source material that if you think is good at all, you're an idiot.
1: Johnny, question, how is Nicolas Cage dressed as He-Man?
2: Okay, so he's not in a loincloth, right? He's You could have gotten the win. He's wearing, he's wearing leather pants, shirtless, with just the He-Man thing over himself. He's got his beer gut, but he has a big-ass <laughs> sword, and it's not a wig. It's his natural hair grown out, grown out, so he is balding, but then it's really long, and it's blonde.
0: Uh, Tristan, let me I, hear I more know about you your movie. I don't know what to
1: do with this movie. Yeah, <laughs> Tristan, <laughs> I, I go a little how little do you of fight
0: this? <laughs> it's incredible. I didn't oh mention the names God. of the characters,
3: but I did like base all these characters off of like characters from the source material. Because believe it or not, the source material has a lot of fun it's stuff gone to drop. It's
2: awful shit. Oh, uh, whoa, this guy in a fucking uh uh thong. Where's <laughs> uh uh he has a sword and he fights a skeleton? That's cool. No, He Man is stupid, but the only way to make him right, cool actually hear what's gonna say what I we had get, to say, okay.
3: We get lady Gaga's maybe. character, I had her playing Evilin. Well Lady her- oh, Harry cool Styles, I had him playing actors. Zodak,
2: which was really cool. Gotta stand Harry Styles.
3: Uh Don Call Cheadle, him. I haven't playing Man at Arms. I think that would be a fun one to see him play. Uh Justin Timberlake, he's playing Snout Spout cool one cool one for him Donald Glover he's voicing a Gwildor he's like a little imp character guy that would be fighting alongside him so I wanted to get like a variety of people one that's like a cosmic kind of fighter one that's a little uh creatures and then I I kissed I cast Lady Gaga as as Evil Lynn because I think that's not an action-oriented role I think it would fit for her uh strength as an actress and like I said it's sort of Adam like coming to his own role a bit like he's older he's he's played by bradley cooper and i want him to be like he's he's sort of learned to as a prince that he's he's stepped down a bit from his role as a prince he's not really being what he should be doing as a a protector of the universe so he's gathering up a team and sort of having to reclaim his title as a master of the universe like it's a journey of him similar to like thor's arc has been throughout the mcu of like he's very cocky and arrogant towards the beginning and then as he's doing more and growing as a person and growing as a team he's sort of Seeing his place in the universe, seeing his place as a leader, as a prince, and ultimately by the end finding that role and finding that power and like reclaiming that title as Master of the Universe. I want it to be some a bit of an origin story, but not really. Like he's he's been in the master of the universe for a while, but you're getting him kind of reclaiming that title and taking it back. to so people who aren't familiar with the source material who think it's just a bunch of kid garbage, you know, maybe they can watch it and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is a lot of fun. This is similar to Power Rangers and stuff like that, where it's just like fun. 90s nostalgia type stuff, so that's what I went for with Masters of the Universe on mine. All
0: right, Bobby, you have the ultimate call. We're two and a half yeah. hours and Do you know where you're gonna go?
1: Yeah, it's you've got to go with mine. you got to go with no. mine. Okay, here's my thing. All right, Johnny, John, Johnny Master the
2: universe is stupid. it is 9 Don't care, do not care. Master of the Universe, bad. He Man, dumb. yes I'm I mean, I'm cool. All right,
0: go ahead, Bobby.
1: All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, even though Tristan, I can like, unmute myself. E- Johnny, stop. Even though with, <laughs> <laughs> even though I I really wanted to hear like a musical He-Man movie because I don't think He-Man would make a great. I so DJ badly movie, wanted to do that. I, I would have. That's was what judging. I. That, that's what I wanted you to do when I made that pick because I think oh, that God. He-Man has really stupid lore, like Johnny said. Um, but honestly. Um, Johnny just made a bad movie. So uh yeah, Tristan, pretty much Tr- won Tristan by wins. people <laughs> Yeah, Tristan wins.
0: Alright, I'm good with that. I will
1: say I
3: would have watched shit out of Johnny's movie like a hundred times. Yeah, what the fuck, guys? What the my
2: <laughs> judges are morons. If Tristan was the judge, I would have won because. Johnny,
1: you smart. won five to two.
2: Yeah, and that's not enough. I should have swept him. <laughs>
1: Five idiot, to two, you won. More. We we went idiot. with Tristan on that one. Oh, all right. give me the one. Okay, got it. Johnny Lady Gaga, Johnny, you Gaga get it? is
2: the villain.
1: Johnny, you yeah, should know ooh. that every single round everyone wants to Bobby, vote against you. I don't give a you.
2: fuck. You've never seen Mandy. That's fine. Johnny, go fuck every,
1: yourself. No, listen to me. Every <laughs> single round, everyone wants to go against you. So when you win five to two, that is definitely a uh all right, Johnny's okay. gone. But, I, I kicked him out. Yeah. But you get the point. We, we we don't want you to win, but you're good. <laughs> <All>
3: <laughs> One right. day he's gonna lose, though. I I can feel it. I yeah, when I face him down, it
0: next for the championship. But-
1: yeah.
3: I mean, look. Okay, I've been fighting with with Joe. I've been the I've been the heel here, but I do think that it's, it's time for all three of us to come together because we need to bring no, Johnny no. down. No matter because what
0: happens, Johnny needs all, to lose. Okay. Here's
2: it has thing. to be legitimate, though. It has but to be legitimate Of course, to legit we're not gonna. And cheat. it will never be because I'm so much better than all of you at this. It's not even fucking close. Even in my bad pitches, it's so clear who made the better one. It's wild how you bad. How much better? Hey, like,
1: uh, let, let's close yeah, this talk out. shit.
2: Fuck you! I'm making my heel turn, Bobby. Go fuck yourself. Wait, I was a face Johnny, until turning this. Even more heel now. I <laughs> am the goddamn champion Look, of this league. Johnny, Johnny I
1: will never lose Johnny, again. Johnny made your heel turn episode zero. Let, uh,
3: I can't let Johnny destroy Bobby. Bobby's an innocent bystander here. He gave me rules that, even though I might have chose a couple of different ones for some of them, I respect the rules. Bobby's a hero of this show. Johnny cannot be. This violent and this angry, Johnny's gone unhinged. The power's gone to his head. He's too sick with a victory. He needs to be taken down. And I'm I'm putting the game aside now. This is serious. Johnny's going down. All right, we're taking right. him down.
0: And that needs to happen. So you need to let me beat Tristan the next time I face him. Uh, so I <laughs> then right. can go and defeat Johnny. But, so All right, let's, let's go. And then I be Bobby. Let's, I let's close this
1: out. I, th- I think we got the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so Johnny is Johnny gave going his mad his in thoughts. the chat.
0: Johnny yeah. gave his final thoughts. Uh Tristan, what are your final thoughts? How do you I know you lost five to two, but what what's your strategy? It's so next hard
3: time? coming in here because I I think you guys should give me some insight into what you didn't like, which is always helpful because I, I was unconfident on some of these choices. I was pretty confident on others. So it's good to get a look into your guys' thought. I I want to do better every time I come back and fight Johnny. You know, I I, I won one point last time we played, I think. <laughs> and then I won two points now. So I think I got three points next time, and then let boom up from there. Either that yeah. or I'm going to knock him out next time I play. But, yeah, I think Johnny obviously comes in with heat, you know, and I think yeah. even on his weaker pitches, he comes in with heat and really sands for these weaker pitches. I think he had some pretty strong ones, though. I liked his Sorcerer's Apprentice pitch. I thought that was a pretty good use of the rule on that, and I also liked his Wrinkle and Time pitch a lot uh of course i would have watched his master of the universe movie over and over and over again i would sign up for sure just to watch that but i'm glad i i'm glad i won that one at least <laughs> it was yeah. a good episode i'm looking forward to some more hopefully i can someone will bring down johnny eventually
0: yeah i would say like as far All as right. your stories go your stories are fun like your stories you, you know your plots are always fine it's just you know your director or casting choices is kind of what got away from yeah. you there uh bobby any final thoughts
1: no, that similar for me. I mean, like obviously, I John, because Johnny wins all the time out. I'm always looking for a reason to make him lose. But I think it came down to like Joe said, the directing and casting choices. Uh, I think your plots were great. I think it was a fun episode, honestly, even with the kind of blowout score. I think it was fun listening to every pitch that you guys made. Um, and I'm I really hope that <laughs> Johnny is going crazy right now. But I really hope that someone can take him down eventually. Uh, and I do think this was a, a fun episode, you know, uh, with a pitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't keep a straight face with that. But I, fun episode, I, I want someone to take Johnny down, but he's he, he very good. And uh, I'll
0: say that. my final thoughts, it was a fun episode. I'm very happy as a Lions fan. We improved in the offensive line and word on the street is Aaron Rodgers is headed to Denver. So, Whoa,
1: get, get where is the- that?
0: Uh apparently he's wanted out of Green Bay for a while and apparently Well no,
1: I know that. The recent the Denver specifically.
0: Uh saw that on Reddit.
1: Alright, oh well never mind.
0: Well it was uh that
1: would good. All right. In Colorado.
0: Colorado. Uh Aaron Schefter tweeted it out that he wants
1: Aaron Schefter? I don't know who that is.
0: <laughs> what fuck it Schefter. I fucking
1: Yeah, he's like my guy, my guy my <laughs> yeah.
3: guy
0: John. I...
2: I need to get final thoughts, you assholes. First of all, Denver. Adam Schefter, there we go. Second of all, um, Adam
1: okay. Wait, this you was say a, that
2: this was me? a. Yeah, Bobby said, "Where's Denver?" Um, all that. right, that's enough of <laughs> that said, episode. Goodbye, that?
0: everybody. See ya.